0: In as as needed. So,
1: do you want to start with the spiel? Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Chair. Uh, Good evening, everyone. I have a few housekeeping items uh, for this hybrid meeting, assuming Kurt is ready. Oh, yeah, we're good. (laughs) Uh, This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. Uh, The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn off your video. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And I'll turn it back over the meeting to you, Chair.
0: All right. Well, welcome everybody, both here and online, to the December edition of the Multimodal Transportation Commission's monthly meeting. Starting as always with our study session at five o'clock. So, for this particular study session, we have Evan Corinto. Is that how you say last name? Okay. okay. I, was gonna say, I thought I heard it a couple years ago, but it's been a while since I've seen you, so... Um, who's going to be discussing the draft of our ADA transition plan for the public right-of-way, specifically. So, um, so we've got slides, and you can just kind of take it away whenever. Let uh, me...
2: There you
1: go. All right.
0: That'll get you through.
3: All right. All right. Uh, Well, good evening, everybody. Um, My name is Evan Corrent, and I'm the city's ADA compliance administrator. And today um, we're going to be talking about our work that we've been doing with our ADA transition plan for our public right of way. Um, A little bit about ADA transition plans. Um, All municipalities that have over 50 plus employees are required to have plans in place that take a look at. Hmm. all facilities or infrastructure that can affect people with disabilities and any barriers that they find present in their evaluation process, they're to create a plan to get those items um, into compliance or at least reduce the barriers to not prevent participation. So um, just a little background, we passed the um, facilities ADA transition plan, the city uh, commission adopted that in March of 2022. Um, So this will be the next one that we'll be bringing to them, still kind of in draft form, Um, but we hope to at least get kind of initial feedback here um, in the next couple of months. Um, So the ADA transition plan really consists of Uh, First, a self-evaluation where we take a look at all of our existing pedestrian routes. So that'd be sidewalks, shared-use paths, curb ramps, and really take a look to see um, what deficiencies we may have, what's currently not accessible, uh, ways we can make improvements to eliminate some of those access barriers. Um, And really, that's done through kind of a thorough um, evaluation process where we actually are are using technology to go out and take a look at our our current inventory um, and then really try to figure out a a dollar amount and what it's gonna take to get that into compliance. Um, So some of the challenges specifically here, you know, in Lawrence, is we have about 400 plus miles of sidewalk and shared use paths, um, and about 6,488 curb ramps currently. Um, most of these, at, at current at current standard, fall below kind of the ADA standards or even the city standards that we have in place. Um, One of the other big challenges that we have is the lack of a a current sidewalk brick policy. Um, That process is underway, but um, obviously that can put a a huge variable when we're looking at kind of city infrastructure and cost and things like that. So that's one of the things that um, we'll be working through kind of in the upcoming months as well. So here is just kind of a, a snapshot of the dashboard and some of the information that we got from our LiDAR technology when we went out. Um, as you can see, uh, so some of the stuff that's ADA compliant is the very, very dark green, which represents about 27% of our sidewalk or Shared Youth Pass. Um, and the rest either falls kind of below that, you know, non-ADA compliant or has issues or or needs kind of minor repairs. So you know we're looking at you know probably over 70% um, still needs some work, whether that's full replacement, spot repairs, or things like that. Um, so this is just kind of a snapshot and what we'll be using as we move forward to kind of put our um, pricing to and kind of as we look at, at blocks that may need full replacement versus spot repair um, and kind of how we use that during our evaluation process. So some of our current strategies that we're using to uh, reduce pedestrian barriers in our sidewalk networks. So when we're looking at our existing sidewalks and ramps, we have, of course, the sidewalk improvement program, which really is designed to uh, eliminate trip hazards. It's not really for full ADA compliance. a lot of times they're able to achieve ADA compliance by removing those those trip hazards and, and barriers, but really that's not the goal of that program and the funding behind that really, um, you know, can't, can't afford to do block end to block end repair for ADA compliance currently. Um, we also have the standalone ADA reconstruction project. So if there was a project in place that was a standalone CIP project that was addressing kind of sidewalk infrastructure, private development or redevelopment, um, sidewalk repair construction, And then the sidewalk uh, construction is part of a roadway project. So um, sometimes through the scope of work, if it's large enough um, in its scope, it will actually touch kind of adjacent sidewalks and ask you to bring kind of adjacent sidewalks and curb ramps up to um, accessible standards as well. Now some of the issues with sidewalk gaps over to the right now this the sidewalk um, or excuse me the ADA transition plan for right of way will only address existing infrastructure so it's not looking at gaps missing sidewalks things like that um, the addition of sidewalks is actually not a requirement of the ADA it's just where you have sidewalks they have to meet ADA so um, we have a couple different programs in place that will help us address that gap. So new sidewalks as part of a roadway reconstruction project, um, you know, so where they are extending something and they're adding it as part of a, you know, a, a new new development or new construction project. Private development or redevelopment, um, they may ask for the, the addition of sidewalks um, in those areas to kind of complete that sidewalk pedestrian network. We have the five year five-year bike ped plan, um, specific capital improvement projects that may go out there to address specific gap issues. And then the Lawrence pedestrian plan, which is has actually a, a, a pretty robust sidewalk gap network in there where they kind of plan to, to tackle and, and their methodology on where they'll go and how they address kind of sidewalk gap issues. Um, So our prioritization methodology, so this is very similar to kind of what the sidewalk uh, improvement program uses, some of our other sidewalk improvement programs, uh, as well as the Lawrence pedestrian plans. So as we're looking at kind of sidewalks that we really hope to target uh, first, Um, You know, in in our first handful of years as we're doing um, our ADA transition plan, you know, we'll obviously look at areas that are serving schools, public transit, um, points of interest, public attractions, Obviously, government facilities, hospitals, things like that, um, but then we're also going to take a look at um, you know pop- populations that have transportation disadvantages, so folks that we know, areas in town that have a higher uh, density of folks with disabilities, uh, lower education, income, so all those kind of things are used in our prioritization methodology that we'll use to kind of select where we'll be going first um, in our ADA transition plan. So the current investment and in future, in future cost projections for our right-of-way transition plan. So here's kind of a snapshot. In, in 2022, um, through our capital improvement investment, we spent about $1.29 million in sidewalk to make them ADA compliant. So that was our total investment in, in 2022. We're kind of projecting years 2024 through 2028 about 1.92 million dollars annually in sidewalk and shared use paths, as well as curb ramps. Um, so when we look at our total um, amount of funding needed over the next, you know, we're, we're hopefully thinking that we can get this done in the next 20 years. You know, we're about 76 million dollars for just sidewalks and shared use paths, and about another 11.7 million dollars for 88 curb ramps, which would bring that up to about. million total. So if we're looking at um, the the funding gap there, let's say we did the 20-year plan, we would be, sorry, so as you can see there, if we did if we did like a 20-year plan, we would still have an uh, anticipated funding gap of about 2.45 million a year. So what we would like to do, um, and one of the things that we'll obviously be bringing in front of uh, the commission kind of for their feedback is one, trying to not only figure out, you know, what kind of timeline are you comfortable with? Are you comfortable with doing, you know, a 15-year plan? If you do that, it's obviously going to be a higher annual investment. Um, or did you want to stretch it out longer? You know, we kind of feel as the staff that the sweet spot is. Probably twenty years um, but obviously that's going to be kind of up to the Commission on, on what they feel you know if they want to stretch it out a little bit further the problem with you know doing something like a 30 year plan and stretching it out that far is by the time you get to thirty years of a plan a lot of the infrastructure that you tackled in years one through five or whatever could you know you may have additional maintenance costs to kind of maintain those and keep those into, into compliance. So, that's kind of some of the funding gaps that we're looking at right now and, and how we're, we plan to move forward. Um, some funding opportunities to meet these identified gaps. So, like I'd mentioned, standalone projects. So, there may be CIP projects that um, are specific to sidewalks. So, they're, they're going into an area and that's just part of a, a standalone CIP project where they're doing. ADA reconstruction or block end to block end, or it's part of a larger street maintenance project. Um, Grants, obviously we'll continue to look for any type of federal infrastructure grants, (coughs) local grants, state grants, anything we can find really. Um, neighborhood redevelopment, obviously there would be an opportunity here if a, if a neighborhood um, was doing a, a large scale redevelopment, you know, they would be required in that process to bring their, side, their current infrastructure up to ADA standards. And then projects for roadway alterations, again this would be kind of a, a really large project if we were extending a roadway and kind of within that scope of work we were also you know, doing stuff with adjacent sidewalks or shared use paths. So some of the public participation that we've done throughout the years, um, we had the 2023 Sidewalk Improvement Plan, which um, was done in the Lawrence Listen survey, um, a 2020 citywide accessibility study that we did, um, kind of when we were starting both of the work on our transition plans, just to kind of gauge, you know, what were the top priorities for folks in our community. Uh, the 2022 Lawrence Pedestrian Plan, the Safe Routes to School 2023 to 24 Revised Routes, and the 2022 Bus Stop Amenities Plan. So these plans were actually specifically targeting kind of right of way infrastructure questions and, and getting feedback on not only um, what folks thought of our sidewalks and shared use paths, but how we should pay for it, what, we sh- you know, what that strategy should be. And on top of kind of the the um, comments that we've gotten on these specific um, surveys—it seems like almost every survey we put out, regardless of what the topic is, sidewalks is kind of a, uh, you know, something that gets brought up, or, or sidewalk infrastructure, either you know not being in great repair or you know things like that. So, I think we've got a lot of good feedback on kind of how our community feels about our sidewalks, and um, you know, and that really helps guide us moving forward. Um, So next steps, um, as I mentioned, we will be going to the City Commission in the next couple months. Um, As more of a work session, really try to, um, nothing to get adopted at that time, but just to kind of bring some of this information to them as far as what we're looking at um, for total funding, kind of what our funding gaps would be, timelines, um, and then how they think we should do this. Obviously, as I mentioned, we had, you know, we've discussed as a staff doing this as as potentially um, an annual CIP, Program, So it would be we would have annual dedicated funding for the ADA right-of-way transition plan program um, that would tackle this. Um, and we think that, you know, given the nature of sidewalk infrastructure and the community feedback and as, and as well as our strategic plan, we think that a, a plan like this would score, you know, pretty high, um, you know, when we're comparing it against kind of other programs and projects throughout the community. Um, is that it? I guess that's it. Cool. Thank you. And then any questions anybody has, I'd be happy to answer.
0: Yeah. Well, since this is a study session, I'm hoping that we can come up with a fairly good you know, discussion to um, you know, learn more about anything that was maybe unclear or more curious about or just provide feedback. So, I'm going to open up to others first to see any general questions thoughts. And then I got a whole bunch of notes I've been taking down, so
4: you mentioned that on um, the thirty-year funding cycle, that if you get to the end, you have to just do it again. So I'm curious uh, if, if we were to build a sidewalk using modern construction techniques, how long does the sidewalk
3: last? That's a great question. There's some there's some varying opinions on that. Um, and Jake may, may have some suggestions on that too but f- what our asset management team and kind of in what our what the practical world really is is probably a little bit different Jake maybe you have a little bit better idea of kind of life cycles of a, of a brand new sidewalk
1: yeah it, it's not an exact science you could say 30 years you could say 80 years I mean, we do have mm-hmm. we do have sidewalk in this town that's in great shape that's been built a long time ago the answer's somewhere in the middle um, I can't remember what Darren's I asset think they've eighty refused. years on
3: the
0: asset management wow. stuff. So. I'm- Wow, yeah. must be for a treeless street. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm feeling trees, trees and, are the biggest issue. Yeah,
5: trees yeah. and also difference in concrete. You know, that's changed a lot of right. The mixed the
1: designs years, have changed yeah, materials, over the years. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Trees are obviously probably one of the biggest nemesis we have.
3: And I think one of the one of the important things is, is when we're looking at sidewalks, is even after the completion, you know, the let's say it's 20 years, and after we complete our 20 years, it's not like we stop there. You know, the 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 thought of actually having a fully compliant you know city is pretty unlikely it'll always take kind of routine maintenance upkeep um, and there's going to be some areas where we're going to have to go back and just do you know hopefully spot repairs though and not kind of full block into block and replacement like we're starting at from the beginning and it could be more of a um you know fixing a crack here a panel there heave a tree something like that where we're not doing kind of full block end to block end with curb ramps and things like that so um, but there will be kind of an investment annual even after the um, after the com- completion of, let's say, 20 years. I think they had built in like a $350,000 ongoing, just as kind of a routine maintenance to kind of keep infrastructure up to, you know, kind of the standard that it was built to.
4: And what what has lasted better, the brick or modern concrete?
3: Well. <laughs> It, it, you know it depends Not answer, mm-hmm. it, it depends no, cool. it, it depends there's there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of communities that are, are still keeping brick because it's you know, because of the look or historic but they're doing it a little bit differently they're they're laying concrete first then putting a sand base and then putting yep. brick so what you are I mean it's lasting a lot longer because it was built on a concrete base the it, you know if you're putting down brick just in you know like they did in the old days with nothing underneath it you'll see it kind of disappears into nothing after after a while mm-hmm. um, so, the, you know, I don't know if one's any better than the other, but I can tell you that, you know, keeping brick is going to make the cost go up. Um,
1: Here in town, particularly, your, your brick sidewalks are in the older established neighborhoods. So you have that tree probably even more, I think, than you have in the newer developed parts of town. Mm-hmm. You
6: no, know Baldwin City on their brick sidewalks is doing that application that you're describing with concrete base and then building it up with the sand. So, I mean, but obviously the ones in East Lawrence are in disarray, and I can't imagine. I mean, they're not ADA compliant, right? So, but there's a tension with historic commission, and so how do we resolve that? I mean, it's, ADA is federal, right?
1: Awesome. The answer is working through the brick policy, so Mm. we've been talking about a brick street and sidewalk policy for a long time, Um, and so the answer is going to happen there through a community engagement yeah. effort
3: mm-hmm. and really that's going to come you know when we re- bring this forward to the commission we're you know we're going to need some feedback on that as well and and kind of you know are we keeping brick wherever brick was currently even if it's not in a historic district i mean there's a lot of areas that have brick sidewalks that it's not historic or we're not in a historic environment but we're just it's just there so you know what's the policy there is you know okay so maybe we you Know we'll lay the concrete in the sand base, but if they want, if the adjacent property owner wants the brick, it's at their cost. I mean, we there's some of these things that you know we're working through. Um, when I was looking at some of the brick policy that other communities have done, is um, a lot of them are actually getting rid of brick in general and they're actually putting down a concrete and doing a brick pattern, like a stamped pattern, and then they color it. <laughs> you know so that's an option too I mean if people I mean it, it gives the look but it's obviously not brick so I mean it doesn't have some of the history there um, so that's options um, but it's just it, you know some of that is still that that is a huge variable on kind of you know this plan and because I mean if they if the brick policy says everywhere where there's currently brick brick must remain then I mean that could I could eat into a lot of the funding and you know but that's some of the direction that we'll get from our community and the and the Commission really
5: What's, what's the status of the BRIC policy? I mean, it, where is it in the Underwear. in works? No. Not started or? It has,
1: it has not started. You know, we started it a couple of years ago and we got hung up with staff turnover and other yeah. priorities and it hasn't taken off since then. Okay. Uh, we are staffed up and, and I think, I think we're, we're kind of making a commitment to get started on that again soon. Okay.
3: And I would say it's getting it's getting a little bit closer because the last week or two weeks ago, I was asked to kind of start reviewing some BRIC policy of mm-hmm. other side. So I think that it's so. moving in that direction in anticipation for when the brick policy or BRIC committee kind of gets formed.
0: You
6: mm-hmm. got um I apologize if you've already addressed this earlier before I came in, but I had heard once on city commission that the funding, like, the way the infrastructure, like not the physical infrastructure, but the infrastructure for funding sidewalks in the, in the city is like not through the CIP, is that, is that accurate or not? Like that maybe adjacent property owners were paying for
1: something or no? So um, sidewalks are funded, it, it, we, Evan touched on it in some of his slides, um, but our maintenance projects don't show up in the capital improvement plan with the exception of the street maintenance project so like the sidewalk improvement program is in the MSO's operating budget mm-hmm. so we we have kind of itemizations within our operating budget for certain things you know for alley improvement for sidewalk ramps for sidewalk repair now the the city's policy is that the adjacent property owner is responsible for repairs so the way that program works is they we pay for the repairs up front and then invoice property owners mm-hmm. so some of that money comes back in
6: is it if a property owner makes a complaint that you guys do that repair or you're proactively doing that and then invoicing after?
1: Both. So yeah. the, with the sidewalk improvement mm-hmm. program, we started off focusing on areas of town and then we, we threw that out and said, no, let's focus on priority pedestrian routes. So that's what we've been doing the last three years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we went from route selection instead of area selection. So that is the proactive approach, but we also have um, some, I would call it kind of urgent repair money where if, if we do get complaints, all the time and we track those and we group them together and we've got a little bit of money each year to go after and repair those. So we, you know, we're trying to kind of meet everybody's needs throughout the year.
3: And that's one of the things that we're actually getting need some feedback from the city commission on too because we're, um, you know, we've thought about a, a couple different things, whether the ADA transition plan just absorbs kind of the sidewalk improvement program funds and that's run kind of as, a, as part of this ADA transition fund now that doesn't require kind of, Adjacent property owners to pay a, a portion for their sidewalk. You know, when we're looking at the ADA transition plan, this is kind of a, a holistic. This is the this is what we're proposing as the city kind of doing 100 percent of that work of adjacent properties. Um, but you know, again, there was some political push for the sidewalk improvement program, and kind of you know, so whether that they want that to stay and run its course first, um, or kind of how that you know, or whether that funding rolls over into this ADA transition plan that's, you know, we're kind of yet to be determined. I
1: I guess I would just follow that up because I think getting to the root of your question is the funding for the ADA transition plan will be in the capital improvement plan. It will compete with other projects for that limited pool of funds.
3: Mm
6: -hmm. So it'll be separate from the MSO's
3: line item? Yes, This will be new funding through the CIP. Got it.
0: You know, I was going to ask something about that. I'm still not sure I quite understand it. It seems like there's kind of a Venn diagram here. So I understand that anything that's new sidewalks, like sidewalk gaps, is definitely not in the ADA transition plan. That's something else, that's safe routes to school, sidewalk gap program, stuff like that. But existing sidewalks is covered under both the city sidewalk repair program and also the ADA transition plan. And I'm trying to figure out where the Venn diagram meshes up here exactly, um, why they're different. Because both are addressing and and trip hazards and bad ramps in the sidewalk I don't know if I'm just misunderstanding how this all works though okay um, if we, we back
1: up a couple of years when we went to our Priority pedestrian routes, we inspected blocks of sidewalk and Mm -hmm. realized some of them are too bad to do spot repairs on.
0: Right, like the whole block basically had to be done?
1: Yeah, so basically we are separating every block of sidewalk into one of two categories. Hey, we can do spot repairs on this, replace a panel here and there, and make it passable. Not ADA compliant, passable. Okay. The rest of those we categorize as replacement. That's the one that we're going to completely tear out and reconstruct to be ADA. Now, with the ADA transition plan, at some point we're going to come back to those... Routes that we did spot repairs on because they're still not compliant and have to reconstruct those.
3: Mm-hmm. They're not full ADA compliant. They may be they may be safe, they may be usable for people with disabilities, but they don't meet true ADA like walk end to block end. I mean there could be some, you know, we fix trip hazards and cracks and things like that. And and I just want to mention too, so the sidewalk improvement program, when it was when it was envisioned, it was really kind of a first step in kind of Addressing some of our sidewalk infrastructure, and at at a minimum, with the funding we had available, at least fixing kind of trip hazards or or major safety concerns. Where the ADA transition plan is kind of a whole separate thing, where we are we are looking at kind of how do we make it as ADA compliant as possible, kind of with the funding we have and and the um, you know maximum extent feasible. I mean, there are going to be areas in town that will never get 100% ADA compliant. They may be chasing grade on a hill or street slope. I mean, so we'll never get it, but um, at least get it as close to ADA as possible.
0: So with the sidewalk improvement plan and those projects that are too big for just a spot thing, like they need entire streets or an entire block faces redone, um, they eliminate trip hazards, but they are fully ADA compliant. So. I guess the first question is, what other hazards am I not understanding might need to be done? Because I just, I don't know a lot about the field at all. Like, what what beyond trip hazards is something that would be done with the next level of funding?
1: Okay, so your 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 question, I think, is what makes a sidewalk compliant or non-compliant? Yeah, so, versus just passable. Right. Yeah, so to make a, a sidewalk compliant, you've got to have the right width. So we've got to have... Um, Okay. Five foot, five foot wide sidewalks okay. where you know in a lot of places in town they're three to four. Yeah, um, you've got your your cross slope on those as well. So again, that's where, where uh-huh. trees and settlement and water problems cause them to tip and move. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, ADA is going to tell you got to be 2% or less on your cross slope.
0: Okay. That makes more sense then.
1: So those are probably the really big ones. Um, yeah. Other than that, you start getting into sidewalk ramps.
3: Yeah. So here, that's a really good example that Jake was talking about the width. Mm-hmm. So let's say the sidewalk improvement program went into a, a whole area and they fixed every spot repair. So now it's, it's completely, you know, usable, but, you know, the whole thing's only three feet wide. Yeah. So this ADA transition plan would go back and be like, at some point, we're making this five feet wide now, and it's gonna be 2% cross slope. It's gonna have no more of a 5% running slope. We're gonna have accessible curb ramps on each end. So, you know, kind of taking a more holistic approach as we're looking at these sidewalks versus just kind of eliminate those those first barriers.
0: So I may be, I guess, getting too far ahead here, but it seems like if you were to spend a lot of money fixing sidewalks such that they're passable, but then later have to fix them so they're fully ADA compliant, it would obviously be best funds unlimited to do it all at once right like okay if we're gonna fix the cracks let's just make them wide in the right cross slope is is there a concern that you might be fixing stuff that you then have to fix like three or four years later once funding is available for that street i guess what's the plan around there Uh, i don't think we've
1: gotten that far into the weeds yet but i mean the the hope would be that we don't do spot repairs on a street we're going to do complete reconstruction on within five years right We, we we recognize the the sidewalk improvement cramp Program is more of a triage. Mm-hmm. Let's make it passable. Let's make it as safe as we can. So it, I, there, if there if is our, going to have to be some detailed thought in how okay. to avoid those situations. Okay. I think
5: our horizon is twenty years, then that spot fix, at, you know, maybe fifteen years before they get back to. And I you
3: know, yeah. and I do when we're when we're looking at what areas we're gonna prioritize moving forward with our ADA transition plan. So for instance, areas of town that have already been addressed through the sidewalk improvement program, those will go towards the bottom of the list mm-hmm. because they've actually at least been usable and you know are safe for folks. So we're gonna kind of hit in years one through five, kind of the areas that we've identified as kind of for one the areas that the sidewalk improvement program said this area is too bad it needs full block end to block end replacement so we're starting kind of that's what we hope is kind of the highest priority areas first and we hopefully won't even get back to looking at kind of some of the areas that the sidewalk improvement program did so much much later in the plan um and then hopefully at that point you know it's still not full block end to block end but i mean you never know um okay it's, it's all
0: to make sense. Sorry, that's right. I was just saying it's all starting to make a lot more sense now. So,
6: my understanding is that accessibility design standards change occasionally. Like it's not like ADA passed in 1990. It was five foot width. You know the, the design standards that you're describing. So how do we account for that future facing? We just you know we're working with the accessibility design standards as they currently are, assuming that
3: they're not going to change drastically. I, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so when when the original ADA was passed, so the 1991 technical standards first came out, and in those first technical standards, they really only addressed facilities, so they looked at kind of building infrastructure, and they didn't really go a whole lot into the weeds on kind of right-of-way infrastructure, other than kind of they had some minimum ADA curb ramp design. When they did the 2010 standards for accessible design, they did a little bit more detail on right-of-way, but not kind of... Again, it was more focused on facilities, services, and programs. Um, and because of that, uh, the United States Access Board actually came up with something called the uh, Public Right-of-Way Accessibility Guidelines. And they were drafted in, in, I think, 2010 or 2011. And it's actually what Federal Highway uses as kind of their standards. And most communities use, it's called ProAg, as their accessibility standards when they're designing sidewalks. And even though, and so we've actually used that as our design standards since, what 2013 I think is city ordinance so we're actually to the highest standard of accessibility right now the uh, public right-of-way accessibility guidelines have been published and they're waiting for adoption when they're adopted they will be mandatory Um, but they've been in draft status since probably 2011 Uh however they are still kind of best practice and, and it's what Almost every community, Department of Transportation, Federal Highway, it's kind of what they go by because they are just, it's the most comprehensive technical guidelines when it comes to sidewalks, curb ramps, things like that. But yes, I mean, they do change. One of the nice things is there is there is something called a safe harbor provision. So let's say that we do everything to, to pro ag standards and all of our sidewalks are great. And then in the year 2025, they come out with this new accessibility guidelines. If your current infrastructure at least meets the original pro-ag, you have a safe harbor provision. That means you don't have to rip it up and redo it, but if if something were to happen, they cracked and it needed to be block end to block end, you would have to do it to the the newest current standard. So, yeah. So we have, right now we have some curb ramps in town that that were designed to the 1991 technical standards, which as long as they're in good repair, they still meet ADA because they have a safe harbor provision as long as they weren't you know, too badly damaged or anything like that. They, you know, they still have, they meet the slope, the cross slope, things like that. So, okay. That
0: So that kind of brings up another question I had. You mentioned like having to adhere to a certain uh, standard. So I was wondering what are the sort of carrots and sticks here from the feds in terms of, okay, we know that we have to have an ADA transition plan because we have more than 50 employees, is that right? But what is the, Is there a timeline? It seems like not necessarily. I mean, because you put anything from 5 to 30 or so. What do the feds require?
3: So the feds require a plan. Okay. A plan and then an end date to to address that plan, depending on kind of what the city... Now, it varies from community to community, size to size. Um, I can tell you that... So the Department of Justice, Mm -hmm. if they were to ever come into a city or a community based on kind of a a high level of complaints or something like that... Mm -hmm. Recently, it happened in... Uh, Kansas City, Missouri in the late, two, I think it was like 2017, they had a Department of Justice settlement agreement where they had a backlog of complaints with sidewalk infrastructure. Mm. And, the, and the Department of Justice actually came in and said, you have to do it in this timeline and that's it. So. Keeping the Department of Justice out of your town um, is good because they they speed up the timeline exponentially, which can increase that cost. I mean, they may say it needs to be done in seven years, which can put a community in, in quite the bind if they don't have that funding available. The plan is to is to kind of protect you to say, hey, look, we've, we've at least identified that we have barriers and we have a plan to kind of get towards that end goal. Um, And Lawrence actually had an original ADA transition plan from the early um, 1990s that included kind of the facilities that we had at that time. And then they also had language in there about our right of way infrastructure. So, um, and and in fact, some of these plans that we have, our sidewalk improvement plan, the ADA curb ramp program, those are kind of separate smaller plans that kind of at least keep you in compliance and keep the Department of Justice you know off your back because at least you have plans in place and you're you're making an effort as part of your community to kind of reduce these barriers um, but yeah it's uh, it's becoming more common um, to have these settlement agreements from the Department of Justice record breaking uh, last year Los Angeles County one point one billion dollars uh, they had thirty thousand miles of sidewalks and they have thirty years to do it so um, I actually was at a conference and met with the ADA coordinator from Los Angeles County and we had a Great conversation. Um, it can really put your community in a bind, but in some instances, it's good for some communities to kind of kick them, you know, and, and say, hey, you really need to start working on this too. So, um, but again, it's kind That's of on their timeline versus your timeline. So,
0: okay. I want to make sure I'm not hogging the table. I'm sure others have questions too. I just, it's a very interesting subject. All right, well, in that case. um, So it seems like for the most part, we're talking about right away on the sidewalk side um, and anything between the sidewalks. It it doesn't seem like that's a part of the plan necessarily, but I'm I'm curious about stuff like crosswalk distances or grade of hills for curb cuts and stuff. That probably comes up, right? In in terms of having maybe driveway that that make the sidewalk all all wavy and kind of difficult to navigate. But crosswalks seem like they're maybe out, out of scope, like crossing distances.
3: Are you talking curb ramps or pedestrian push when you say crosswalks? So I think specifically the
0: distance between two, two sidewalks to, to cross, in some cases, is really wide. Um, and without a pedestrian refuge, it can be difficult for some to cross in the right amount of time, I suppose. So does that come into play in the ADA transition plan, or is that not necessarily required?
3: No. Um, no i mean that wouldn't be i mean you mentioned driveway so one of the things we look at if we're doing like block into block, and so driveway slope and how mm-hmm. that they you would have to have a continuous accessible path through driveways as well yeah so it would have to flatten out that that five foot wide section where you cross a driveway now the driveway may have to be slanted going up from there or going down to the to the street grade um but i mean there are some things that we'll mention kind of in our transition plan where we talk about like signal timing and things like that as well but mm-hmm. as far as I don't know about distances to crosswalks
1: well yeah you're, you're talking about all the problems that happen between the curb ramps whether it's distance or yeah. cross slope because you're up you know coming down ku 11th street and you've oh, got see, a, a horrendous you know slope down the hill right um yeah sometimes those problems can't be solved or mm. the, the money may be too yeah. much so
3: it's Yeah, So so in this case, you're talking counter slope where you're actually having like a a hill meet up with the crosswalk and create that kind of, is that what you're talking about? I I think there's
0: maybe multiple issues and all of them are probably important. I guess in terms of driveway cuts, we definitely talked about that one recently with the uh, sidewalk app improvement where I asked the question of like, why do we have to pay for so much driveway Mm -hmm. fixing that that's why? Right. But then there's the issue of, say, trying to cross 23rd Street at castle for example like that is a beast of an intersection Mm -hmm. and I can't think of a good way to make that shorter I mean even in the best of circumstances that is a long way to walk
3: if you have a walking ability of some sort so like how do you deal with that, right? I see what you're saying. So some of that, th- some of that stuff can be done with signal timing. So like, so obviously, so we've got, we've done out and done like uh, timing studies where I actually went out with like Jessica Mortinger with the mm-hmm. MPO and we actually pushed some intersections. Another one was six and Wakarusa. Um, we did yeah. that, we did That's that kind one. of area. And, and what we did is we kind of pushed the button and then I rolled through the intersections to see like, you know, Hey, was it adequate time? And you can actually kind of adjust timing based on it's too technical for me, but there's all these variables on kind of how much time is allowed and what's appropriate and you can increase them, you can decrease them, mm-hmm. you can do kind of different things to, to at least kind of make the no walking or whatever signs yeah. stay up longer, or things like that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there are some some things you can do there as far as the signal timing thing and that's actually a part of another project that does like the signal timing right. and things like that. But again, yeah, I mean, that's, okay. that's a very important thing as well. Um, yeah.
0: I mean, I don't really know a lot about disabilities, honestly, but from what I've heard, it seems like there are certain almost like invisible disabilities where it seems like somebody can walk, but they can't walk very far or Mm -hmm. not all at the same time. Like, uh, it seems like a very difficult problem um, because then, I mean, how do you deal with the fact that it's a six-lane wide road, right? This only so skinny the road can be. Yeah. Okay. So it's a challenge, it sounds like. Uh, What do you use on raised crosswalks and intersections? Do you think that would help to avoid having to go ramp down ramp up while also slowing cars who are going across the intersection, I think uh, design standards indicate that you can't have speed bumps at intersections, which means that that may preclude race crosswalks. So this might be a question for both of you guys, like how, how could we make the crossing experience better?
3: That might be more of an MUTCD thing (laughs) in a Jake thing. I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm
0: not sure I have an answer for that right now. Okay. So, like, in other countries, it's pretty common to have some kind of bump up when you are going over crosswalk rather than bringing the pedestrians and bikes down to the cars. You bring the cars up to everybody else. Um, but, yeah, if, if that's not allowed, I guess there's not much we can do about it. But it also
3: depends on the type of road.
0: Right, right. I mean, it's going to be on, like, an arterial, probably not. Right?
3: Yeah, like, if you look at, like, the MUTCD standards and stuff, I mean, they have all the all the definitions on where you can put, what you can put, how yeah. you can put it. I mean, so they probably have every specific kind of scenario that you could think of. And it, it could be, yeah, maybe we're, we can't do it. or We don't have the space or the distance or the width. or I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah.
0: I guess the question from a disability advocacy standpoint is, is it better to not have to have a change in elevation if you can help it? Like, is it better to just go straight across rather than done and up again I mean say if it's raining or you know it's icy outside
3: I mean I can tell you as a wheelchair user I'd prefer to go straight okay. <laughs> I mean I would I mean as much as possible I mean anytime that you can kind of keep kind of a, a, a steady running mm. slope or, or something where you're not getting a lot of ups and downs now sometimes you know especially when you're on grade and you're chasing chasing great up a hill, you know, you may have to push kind of hard, then yeah. you can have a flattened resting spot, put, you know, so, you know, it's, it's called a stepped approach. I mean, so there's all these different things you can do to kind of help accessibility, but um, to at least kind of allow resting areas for people that are either pushing, walking, rolling, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, straight straight lines. Okay.
0: That's good to know. I feel like it's one of those perspectives that we don't hear super often, but when we discuss things like raised crosswalks, it's good to know that it's not just for slowing traffic, it's also for ease of access
6: really quick I my personal perspective is that application that you, you all did on uh, Iowa and 23rd because it narrows the right-hand turn for all of the you know all of the lanes makes it a much more like on an arterial a safer crossing experience uh, I think it's one of the, the best applications personally I've, I've experienced in the city but I don't know you know from a
3: wheelchair user perspective how that feels going across that distance there. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I, I would say that anytime you're in a busy area crossing any street, it, there's always, you know, it's always a little bit scary. I mean, you know, whether you're a wheelchair user or somebody with low, low vision or something like that, I mean, it's always, you know, whether or not somebody's gonna stop or pull too far ahead in the, you know, crosswalk. I mean, there's a lot of times where I'm crossing um, even residential streets where people have pulled out too far and I'm kind of either having to weave around their car or whatever, I mean, so. Um, yeah, crosswalks are always a little bit scarier, and the, and the busier an intersection, it's always, you know, mm-hmm. no matter how well it's marked or lined out, or refuge areas or pedestrian islands, I mean, you're, it's always a little bit
7: yeah.
0: iffy. Yeah. So Is, from, no. There you
4: go. From that map, uh, that LIDAR map of priorities for different sidewalks, uh, how much of this ADA stuff touches on multi use paths, like, you know, the loop path? Uh, or any of the other connector multi- uh, paths that would touch something like the loop path?
3: So this will include anything that's a shared use path. So like let's say l- like the shared use path that runs like along Clinton Parkway, the, the wider mm-hmm. shared use path, but like this doesn't include the the loop, the actual kind of loop because that's actually separate funding, operating funding that they use as part of I think Parks and Rec yeah. that maintains mm-hmm. kind of the loop. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yes, it includes Shared Youth Pass, except kind of the, mm-hmm. the Lawrence Loop around town, but all other Shared Youth Pass that run kind of along our arterials, things like that it would include in here. And all those same rules would apply as mm-hmm. far as the same standards if it's a sidewalk or Shared Youth? Uh, yes. Yeah, same standards as far as slope. Width is actually different because we actually make our Shared Youth Pass wider. Um, so width is, is different than Shared Youth Pass. Um, just because they're kind of allowing transportation for multiple things, whether it be a biker, you know, passing a, a wheeled user or things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, there's a little bit wider standards for shared use pass. And that's, that's all built into that budget projection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so not just the
4: sidewalks, but also.
3: Yep, sure. so they not only looked at sidewalks, but how much width we would need or what they were replacing them with or things like that. So that was all calculated kind of in those initial projections. And this may not be related, but how, how how do you go about getting a map like that? That's really neat. You're asking the wrong guy, because I didn't make this map. That's for sure. GIS. <laughs> yeah, we we've got we've got a great uh, GIS team that kind of helps us with all of our maps, and we kind of tell them what we need and what we needed to do, and and they're really kind of the masterminds behind it. Um,
1: yeah, our asset management group has put together multiple maps, even for just this uh, advisory board. And, you know, there's the MMTC mm-hmm. map out there. That you can go find it'll give you a lot of information so we've got uh, definitely some great capabilities in-house
3: mm-hmm. and, and we hope that when the when, when the final ada transition plan is adopted we will actually have kind of a live map that can that can show like this is what we what you know this is what we're going to do in year one this is what we're going to do in year two and kind of can show the different highlighted areas and things like that because you know the, there will be some um there will be annual feedback or quarterly feedback or however they want to see us come back where we're actually kind of showing them what we've done with the funding and kind of what progress we've made, what barriers we've hit, what challenges we've hit. Um, You know, are we ahead of pace or, you know, whatever, so. Well, that makes me wonder as far as, you know, how all this this gets
4: rolled out. Uh, Just like there's a consideration for where people already bike, that's where you would build a bike path maybe. Um, When prioritizing the funding for ADA compliant sidewalks, are they considering that those kind of patterns, you know, like let's just say you lived in this neighborhood and you had a wheelchair and you wanted to get there, where would you go? You know, uh, because I know we have maps like that that we've looked at before. With you know these these are uh, bicycle friendly pathways that are roads that we know are good. Um, like is that factored in? Because it'd be silly if you know it's all kind of haphazard. And if and if
3: I was in a wheelchair,
4: I'd be like, oh well, here's a, yeah.
3: here's a forest. I can't go any further. So. Yeah, I think this is probably in the prioritization methodology, that one area that the Lawrence Pedestrian Plan really does because they actually use kind of distance to certain things. So, like, Mm -hmm. if you were in a neighborhood, how far are you to public transit? You know, whether it be a bus stop, how far far are you to, you know, school, things like that. So all those are kind of scored and weighted as well when we're looking at what areas we're going to be in next. So if we know that we have an area that's in really poor condition, and it's also really close to a school, it's also really close to city buildings, employment, things like that, that would rank higher on our prioritization map. Like the citizens look at the most bang for their- Yeah, yeah, exactly.
6: Okay. I mean, this is informal, but I've seen where they're called desire lines, where people are walking on on the side of the right of way where there's not sidewalk, but it's worn down. Because there's so many, you know, it's like that's where People a lot of use users are using The sidewalk, if it was there. Yeah.
1: yeah. We call them goat paths. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. paths Naismith's yeah. a good example of yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was, because we
0: fixed that one. Yeah. <laughs> How do transit stops factor into this? Because, I mean, Adam and his team are doing a great job of adding amenities wherever possible, but I have a feeling there's probably still quite a few places that just don't have direct concrete access from the sidewalk to the street, which makes Loading pretty difficult on a bus.
3: Yeah, so they actually on that on that two thousand or twenty twenty two bus stop improvement plans. They actually have a really good uh, breakdown of kind of how many they how many shelters, how many boarding and alighting pads. Mm. That's what that's what that area that actually connects you from the sidewalk to the bus. There's actually a right. a concrete slab. It's called an, a boarding and a lighting area, which is again you can kind of wheel your wheelchair so you're not wheeling across grass or things like that. That yeah. you can actually go right onto the lift, and they actually have a really good. Um, kind of breakdown on mm-hmm. on how how much progress they've made, how much they still want to do and things like that. So they've done a really good job there.
0: It sounds like then that's maybe separate from your, um, I guess, initiative. It's no, there's is that, is a rolled up into the cost estimate of like how much it's going to take to fix it.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that we've we've highlighted in our ADA transition plan because there, there is some overlap. If we know that yeah. we're already going to be in an area and we are going to be doing block-in-to-block and block replacement and it maybe isn't an area that they either have a bus stop or they are proposing a bus stop. You know, we want to make sure that we are either pouring the concrete at that same time for the boarding and the lighting area or things like that. So there, so there's going to be, a, with this ADA transition plan, there's going to be a lot of overlap with a lot of different projects because you know, we may, at any given point, we have a lot of construction going on in town and so there may be a larger street you know, street reconstruction project that is part of that scope is doing some of the adjacent sidewalks that maybe we were going to do the following year so we can say hey now we don't now we don't need to spend funding on that because that's been done and we can go to a different area so there's going to be a lot of communication through a lot of different projects and programs um, to kind of pull a lot of this off
8: okay. cool Let's
0: see huh? <clears throat> any other
3: comment? i
2: wanted to ask a little bit more about the um, shared use paths that are in the public right of-way? So you said the Lawrence Loop is not part of the ADA transition plan. Is that uh, because it's not? I mean, just tell us more about why that is the case. It's about 22-mile um, trail, so.
3: I think it's just kind of the way it was set up, that it was part of the Parks and Recreation kind of operating budget, so they, they just continue to maintain that, and the, the maintenance that needs to be done, uh, you know, is still kind of through that program. Another, you know, consideration is a, a majority of the um, you know, Lawrence Loop doesn't really connect to any of our prioritization areas. It's not really an access point to, you know, shopping, restaurants, employment, schools, things like that. It's more of a recreation path. Now, there's some of it that runs through through the city, um, but it's just kind of the way that it's set up and just as right now an operating um, project through Parks and Rec.
2: Does the federal ADA uh, law require
3: Parks and Rec to maintain it in an ADA compatible way? The feds don't don't dictate a department. They say a city. If you have it, you have to maintain it. So
2: then the city's chosen not to include that in the ADA transition plan? I'm just trying to get clear on, like, why is that excluded from the work that you're doing?
1: Uh, I think I want to reframe it a little okay. bit. So most of the ADA transition plan is to take something that's not compliant and make it compliant. Okay. Our Lawrence Loop, for the most part, is compliant, right? You know, we've got a Some of it's very new. Um, The oldest of it's not even terribly old. So it's the right width, the cross slope and settling issues are what we see on there and that's why it's more of a maintenance issue. Mm. So it's, I I think that's kind of why we're thinking of it a little bit separately.
2: So in 20 years it might be a part of the plan? If it needs more maintenance? I mean, it seems like. I guess it doesn't seem like it's it's been accounted
5: for and that's, you know, I mean. Whatever the funding source is, it seems like that should be irrelevant because it's part of the part of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's Parks and Rec or MSO or whatever. And you know, like Charlie's saying, the the horizon in terms of condition. I mean, it may not be in that condition at this point, but at some point, it'll need to have those
2: ADA standards applied to it. I guess that was my first question. Is is that a requirement that it meets any standard? Mm-hmm. And then if so, then regardless of whether it needs maintenance now or it needs funding right now, shouldn't it be included in kind of the scope of a plan that addresses ADA compliance?
3: I, w- I would say the reason why we didn't include it in the ADA transition plan is because it already had a funding stream. So it already has parks and rec funds that will actually kind of continue to work on maintenance. Now, if there there came to a point 15 years from now where they either wanted to, you know, roll that money over into the ADA transition plan or to MSO or whatever, I mean, that would be a conversation above us. Um, So I guess it doesn't really matter how it gets done as long as it gets done. I guess it's kind of my, my theory, whether it's rolled into the ADA transition plan or it's kind of handled by Parks and Rec, you know, unless they're gonna roll over that money into the ADA transition plan.
2: I guess it just sounds then what you've constructed is more of a funding proposal than a compliance proposal. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to provide assurance that as a community we're ADA compliant or moving toward that, it would seem like it would be inclusive of any of the requirements and funding would be, a, you know, woven in there separately. If Parks and Rec has funding to maintain that, great. Um,
3: yeah, our, our current, our, like Jake said, our current um, uh, Lawrence Loop was built to ADA standards. So it is ADA compliant as we sit, what, what has been done. So really kind of what we're looking at is maintenance. So even, even 20 years from now, we're not going back in and addressing ADA accessibility. We may have to do trip hazards or broken panel here or cracks, again, part of kind of an, a maintenance thing. Um, it seems
0: like it's almost part of the terminology itself. It's the ADA transition plan. We're trying to get it from non-compliant to compliant, rather than maintain what is already compliant.
3: Just like in the ADA transition plan, we don't have gaps because right. gaps don't exist currently. So right. there isn't current sidewalk that we're taking from non-compliance to compliant. Um, hmm. So yeah. Well,
2: so I'm, I'm, what I'm hearing though is it was wholesale not included, and part of that Lawrence Loop is more than a decade old. Mm. I mean, going back maybe two decades.
0: But it was probably constructed to standard. Part of it wouldn't meet ADA standards. It sounds like it probably already is constructed to standard, and if it's not, then it falls under the safe harbor provision, is what I would guess, right? mm
2: mm-hmm. I guess I'm still thinking that it's such an important asset for the community that it seems like it's just not being included. That seems, I guess it's just disappointing. You know, it feels like there ought to be some assurance to the community that the trail is, meets the standards. And I know in the discussions early on about that trail, there are parts of it that are clearly not, um, they're risky for someone in a wheelchair because the slope is excessive. I don't know if it's not cross slope, but the running slope or
3: there is some running slope when we so. did kind of some addition some testing on there as part of a there was another group that I was with and we actually did some rolling of that so like over by kind of rock chalk park there are some slope but again it's mm-hmm. it's compliant because it's chasing the existing slope so mm-hmm. if if it's chasing grade where there already was grade so again like if you have some streets or sidewalks that run along some of our hills on campus mm-hmm. if they're running at you can't have a sidewalk that's 5%. It just doesn't work. So they're allowed to, you're allowed to kind of match up with kind of existing terrain or street grade. So in this case, like around the Rock Chalk Park, it was matching up with kind of existing terrain. You know, when you're going up a hill and things like that, unless you're gonna dig it out and do a tunnel through or 15-foot retaining walls, there's no way to get a straight line through a...
2: So the existing uh, trail that I'm referring to is not near Rock Chalk Park? Mm-hmm. It's further south of there and it's along South Lawrence Traffic Way. Uh, that trail was built um, many years before. The trail that was put in behind Rockchalk Park or north of it was more recently built and it was built to be a flatter trail specifically for this reason. Um, it's, it's the other parts of the trail that I think are still, you know, maybe. Maybe they're compliant in some way, I suppose, but they weren't built with that intention. Mm-hmm. And at this am it just feels like Parks and Rec is being in some ways disregarded in terms of their requirements to comply. And I'm looking for some assurance that, no, that's not the case, that you know they're, they're meeting any requirements. In the early days of the Lawrence Loop discussion, that was... Uh, significant concern. It just sounds like nothing's changed Mm -hmm. (laughs) except maybe the newer stuff has um, had greater consideration for it but none of the older parts of that trail have.
3: There was actually a a project again that I worked on with this group and we actually worked with Parks and Rec and did kind of this LIDAR around Lawrence Mm -hmm. Loop and I actually have if you remind me, I can get. I actually have a map that we developed that has kind of hot spots or higher sloped areas that based on kind of terrain and things like that, we actually had myself and another gentleman kind of roll a lot of this area. And we kind of spot checked with Parks and Rec where areas that they, they hooked it up to a Gator and kind of did the same LiDAR technology. So areas where we had higher slope that we're gonna exceed, we actually have kind of this kind of really cool heat map or user friendly map that I, I can get you, it's, it's kind of a really neat, neat project
2: but that's not part of this work.
3: That's not part of this plan.
0: This is just kind of a, a semantics question. Does the Lawrence Loop in the section where it's not along the street count as public right-of-way? Or does right-of-way only have to deal with cars and utilities? I don't know how that's defined. That may be more of an MSO question, but is that, or not, your MSO, of course, but sorry. I think it's probably
1: site-specific. Okay. look at, you know, each one because obviously we've got you know a piece of lawrence loop along 29th street that's within the right-of-way right, right. but then we've got a lot that's
0: run along k-10 which i guess is technically public right-of-way just not city of lawrence public right-of-way right yeah i don't eat up right away right for that okay so I, I guess charlie i can understand your concerns I'm, I'm trying to see if i can synthesize the information i'm hearing so far to see if i can make sense of it it, it sounds like to me all parts of the Lawrence Loop, when they were constructed, were constructed to what at the time was ADA standards, which means that they are covered under the safe harbor clause of the ADA transition plan requirement, which means technically there isn't anything that's out of compliance right now. It also means that if there's already set aside funding to maintain the loop, even if it is through Parks and Rec rather than MSO, that will always be to maintain it to the same standard at which it currently is. So unless there's any major, rerouting or like a really severe upgrade to ADA standards then it's technically compliant as is right so transitioning is kind of irrelevant because it doesn't need to transition to anything it already is what it's got to be
5: unless parts of it need to be reconstruction reconstructed which would then mean it needs mm-hmm. to come up to ADA standards which some parts of it mm-hmm. okay
0: so if there's like a big the, within section the, bad. The,
5: within the you know 20 or 30 year horizon that we're talking about with the ADA mm-hmm. plan likely that
0: will be the case I think I see where you're getting at so like say the South Lawrence traffic way part just started crumbling and all of a sudden like okay this thing really needs to be the whole thing has to be fixed Mm
2: -hmm.
0: is that when it would fall under the ADA transition plan I I guess is that I I
2: guess that it is kind of what I'm asking and what I'm hearing is it wouldn't because it's got a separate funding source and a separate department managing it and that's what feels a little bit wrong
1: uh, you know, hypothetically, we go 20 years in the future, and there's this quarter mile of the loop that's really bad. We need to mm-hmm. fix it. Then it becomes a capital improvement project. and gets reconstructed to eight current ADA standards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it would be separate from a transition plan, and, th- and at that point, it'd be separate really from a maintenance mm-hmm. project because it would be a such stand-alone, scale
3: standalone CIP project at that point. Mm-hmm.
1: So that, then that funding would, you know, compete for sources in the, the capital improvement plan with other projects again.
3: But you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's a very important asset. And I, I, I would find it highly unlikely that there would be major sections that would need mm-hmm. reconstruction, that there wasn't some type of funding available for it, whether it be through a standalone CIP project or mm. what have you.
5: I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, if you think about like an asset management plan, an asset management plan includes all the assets of the of the city, no matter what the condition is, but it's projecting, you know, in terms of, you know, near term and, and long term. And so, you know, if I think of this as as a um, asset management, you know, and looking at our assets and where they don't comply and where we need to put our resources, it seemed that I think... That seems like we're leaving out assets as, as part of this discussion, um, no matter what the condition, but um, I don't know, maybe there's rationale that I'm not quite.
0: So, so as somebody who's actually worked on an asset management plan as a consultant, you, you kind of have to draw the boundary somewhere. Um, so for example, for the city I worked with the Don, it was only wastewater treatment plant infrastructure, and it was only things over a certain amount of money so like small sensors weren't involved but like a pump if it was big enough was actually involved but it didn't include structures it didn't include you know civil works it was just pumps stuff like that and then there would be a different asset management plan that would be just for the conveyance technology just for the pipes and pump stations and then like a totally separate one for fleet vehicles so I think it's like this is an asset management plan but it's for public right-of-way side loss which
3: is, and, right. well, and which I should I part of I it. should clarify that the Lawrence loop has been included in the asset management it's just not in the ADA transition plan mm-hmm. so it's not like it's mm-hmm. going unaccounted for it's just not in yeah. our current ADA transition plan draft in page 4 of the
8: document for the slides ADA
6: transition plan for redway it is in the green so all of the SLT is 88 compliant and part of the 27.4% that is 88
3: compliant. Hmm. So that's why it's not part of the program. And again, that's a, a caveat. It's, it's compliant to the conditions. So if there's terrain there, if you have yeah. existing slope, it's, it's allowed to chase whatever the grade is next to it. That's interesting.
2: So then it is in the plan.
3: No, it's not for it. It
2: okay. It's on the map. Yeah,
3: yeah it's, it's been accounted for on our LIDAR and on our mapping. Interesting. So the condition of it has been assessed. But the projected funding for it isn't in our transition plan. Right.
2: Because there's no projected need for funding for it? It has,
3: it has funding for it okay. right now mm-hmm. under the maintenance program of the Parks and Rec. So, it has a funding stream.
0: And when big projects come up to repair large sections, just like for the ADA transition plan, that will be a separate item under the capital improvement plan. So, it'll it'll proceed in a similar way, it sounds like, just different budget, different department.
2: I think I'm understanding it. Your early slide kind of separated out things that were and weren't in. I think that's maybe where the clarification needs to be added um things that have their own funding source aren't in the plan maybe that would be
3: yeah and again like there's there's projects like the street maintenance program so so we took out any funding for street maintenance program we didn't include that in the ada transition plan because that has its own funding stream but like i said there may be a large street maintenance project that due to the scope of work they have to touch adjacent sidewalks or curb ramps. So as part of that, they've done the work that we had kind of projected on our transition plan that we don't actually have to use for that anymore because it's been handled through another program or another standalone project.
2: So I think the clarification that helps me is understanding this is not a comprehensive plan addressing all ADA needs in the community. It's a funding plan for what's scoped in this plan. Is that, sure. like, if, it's, if it's an asset that needs to be ADA compliant, that's not sufficient to be in this plan.
0: Right, because buildings are assets that need to be ADA compliant. That's kind of its own thing. Just as an example.
2: I'm thinking specifically of trails. Yeah. yeah. And it just seems like yeah. because that's funded differently it's not in this, and that st- still strikes me as an odd choice. But I think I understand the the reasoning behind it.
0: So it sounds to me like the 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 end result is still going to be a positive, right? It's just that the clarification maybe doesn't make sense currently, and that that it, would would it be helpful to add language in the plan to indicate like how it's. I'm not an expert.
2: I don't know what the federal laws are. I just feel like it seems odd that it would be excluded because it's funded separately.
0: Yeah. I'm just seeing if I can translate your concern into a a feedback. I mean, is that something that could be done? Just just add, like, a a clause and say, like, hey, by the way, there's a whole bunch of other sidewalks that aren't explicitly mentioned here because of the funding source, but they're covered under the same laws and they're going to be upgraded. I I mean, I honestly don't even know. Is the transition plan, like, a report document? Like, what does it look like? Is it, like, the pedestrian plan where there's a lot of text describing what's going it's on. a
2: federal requirement federal I believe.
3: Yes, yeah, a similar um, okay. that just needs you know it's a it's it's something that needs to be adopted by whatever governing board you have so in our mm-hmm. case it would be the city commission. So it would be a document that's on record to show this is what we plan to do over this this yeah. amount of years to to at least reduce pedestrian barriers, you know, if not achieve kind of full ADA accessibility.
0: Okay. So I guess Charlie, the risk of putting words in your mouth, would it be fair to say that a feedback would be to try to make it very clear how the breakdown stands between Parks and Rec stuff and MSO stuff and that like it's all gonna happen. It'll just happen under different funding sources.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we, on the on the draft that we will be presenting kind of at a later time, we're still kind of working through a lot of these things where we'll actually break down kind of the different strategies that we can achieve access and different proge- programs okay. and projects that achieve that. Like I said, there's, at any given point, there's so many different projects that are going on that could affect, I mean, we may have a water main break on a corner, mm-hmm. and now because of that break, they had to put in brand new accessible ADA because they destroyed what was there so I mean so there's things that kind of happen all the time that could kind of change and this is going to be kind of a a working moving target and we're going to have to update and reevaluate all the time because even when we run our prioritization methodology things may change schools may close so now all of a sudden you have an area that scores a little lower or this may you know so I mean it's going to be kind of something that we're we're running all the time to to identify the the best spot at that at any given time.
9: Okay.
0: Any f- uh, final thoughts, including from folks on online? Sorry, I I'm not very good at including people on the call because you're like a hundred degrees over to my left. So, um, <laughs> if not, then we'll. Um, I think we can probably close out this study session, have a quick break, and then come back at 6.15. So, Evan, thank you very much for oh, leading us to this.
2: Thank it's you, it. has been a, it.
0: It's it. It's it's been a lot feedback. of information. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm starting to get it. I <laughs> okay.
2: so didn't want to bring up site
0: Sorry. Um, don't, uh, Kurt are you good to go all set all right Christina you're all set yep. all right well in that case welcome back everybody to the December MMTC meeting we're now in our regular session so the first thing is to approve the minutes from the November meeting does anybody have any questions comments or proposed revisions and if not I'll entertain a motion
5: I move to approve the, the minutes from uh, the November 6th meeting.
2: A second.
0: Okay. First by Commissioner Collette, second by Commissioner Bryan. All in favor, raise your hand, please. It's unanimous. It unanimously passes is what I should say. <laughs> okay. Next up is public comment, the general public comment. The public is allowed to speak to any items or issues that are not scheduled on the regular agenda. Public comment will not be received for staff items, commission items, or calendar. Although just breaking from the script, we probably could receive from for staff items because it is a significant staff item. So I think for this specific meeting, I think we could, we could bend that rule a little bit. Each person or organization will be limited to three minutes. As a general practice, the commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented at this time. Individuals are asked to come to the microphone, sign in, and state their name and address. Speakers should address all comments to the commission. Is there any general public comments? Not in the room, but online? Okay. Moving on to Part D, regular agenda items. Uh, Consider providing feedback on revisions to the Neighborhood Traffic Management Program.
10: being commissioners I'm Dustin Smith senior project engineer with municipal services and operations and this is our uh, kind of ongoing conversation with the neighborhood traffic management program um, and incorporating the feedback we've received in the last few months from neighborhood representatives on the process as well as as this body and so the uh, item, I guess, has kind of a recap of, of changes that we're proposing to the, the program, the policy, the process, um, and, and again, these were things we've heard from from both the MMTC and the and the public. Um, first one is a revision to the process. Uh, we were asked to provide a simplified application process, so we've kind of called that now our statement of interest, which could be you know, from a neighborhood association or individual resident, group of residents to say, hey, we have this concern, you know, this is the details of, of the location of the concern and, and what we think's going on, and then statement of support, basically kind of a de facto petition, you know, just get some uh, demonstration of support within the, the neighborhood a- along the street, To proceed with the project or at least evaluating the project Um, and and then after we kind of get that initial interest and support um, we were asked to also provide some staff support to meet with the stakeholders and help define the project uh, review data that we might have and and kind of scope the project um, including the footprint and and the concerns that we identify Um, and then uh, another kind of lessons learned we've had is to, you know, take that initial data collection and evaluation and uh, evaluate that against our thresholds for when we would, you know, pursue traffic calming, which are in the policy, and and make sure that the project is viable before we keep going down that road. Um, and then we've also uh, added defined public engagement steps. Within the process, both in the um, the attachments, the the flowchart, and the and then the uh, I guess it's called the traffic calming project process also uh, spells out some of the um, the public engagement steps and and you know I guess more kind of. Bigger picture things that aren't uh, bullet items here is, you know, just really defining the process steps with the flowchart and the and the and the text and defining roles and and who who does those steps because th- there was some muddy of the waters with our our first attempt in Old West Lawrence and so I, I think clearly defining the process and the roles is going to help streamline, evaluating, and delivering projects. Uh, And so then we've also got some revisions to the uh, Neighborhood Traffic Management Program website. Just again, we were asked to, you know, share some of these data sources that we have available so neighborhoods can potentially be looking at those ahead of time or when we do meet with stakeholders, they they know what we're talking about, they can come back to it if they want to. and then we've developed a traffic calming primer that kind of gives a, a traffic calming 101 that we've talked about of you know what what are devices that would be considered and you know what do they look like how much do they cost and and we tried to provide uh, photos of examples within the city so if you want to go see it in person you know where to go and. So then, this uh, last part of the memo is just kind of our next steps um, tonight. We're gathering feedback from from MMTC for any, you know, additional revisions or, or comments on the proposed revisions, and then uh, uh, bring it back in early 24 to you guys to uh, recommend approval to the city commission, and then on to city commission early 24 so that we can get that first round of uh, statement of interest out to the residents, to the neighborhoods, early 24, so we can get get started developing projects and, and hopefully get some design completed, and have projects queued up, ready for construction in 25 when we get the, the funding in the 25 program year. So I think that's, that's what I wanted to kind of cover and, and then open it up for, comments and questions on, on what we've we've got with our revised documents Oh well, cool
0: thanks very much um, and I think in general this is excellent I feel like you guys really. Heard what people were saying at the your turn session a while back. It was a June, or yeah, it feels like it feels like it was quite a few months ago. But, <laughs> but there were a lot of concerns that came up. Not all of them were consistent, nor necessarily reconcilable between each other. Like it's too easy, it's too hard, you know. Okay. But I feel like you, you definitely did your best to make it more transparent. It's easier to follow. There's a lower barrier of the application, and also I think key is that. It, we now have a difference between the full-scale neighborhood pilots and the small street-specific fixes. Yes. So we can ideally attack both instead of just one neighborhood at a time for the next hundred years or so, yep. um, which I think is a big change. So, um, yeah. Uh, any comments or questions to start off the discussion? I
5: have a, a question on the um, uh, the forum for the uh, Neighborhood Traffic Management Program. And under problem location it has you know the first paragraph that talks about exact location or locations of concern within your community um and then the second one about the second paragraph though then says has options for neighborhood wide projects or minor projects that could be an individual street or block so i guess i'm not i know that we wanted to encourage or make (coughs) kinds of projects eligible right this a single location or a neighborhood but the it's it's a little bit confusing to me in the in the wording here as far as um I i don't know how the second paragraph is different from the first one as far as those different uh or maybe that one should be at the beginning or it's just a little bit confusing i guess I mean, I I understand what what's intended, but um, but someone from the neighborhood might not be clear. Is it should we do, are we just doing single locations, or are we doing an area, or um, is there is there some advantage to submitting a proposal for a neighborhood wide, um, you know, some that you know that they may not be aware of. So, so just maybe. R- um rewording that a little bit as far as
10: okay i i, <laughs> I guess maybe i'll uh, i'll reach out for some some input from some of my colleagues because that 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 was written by me who's yeah. deep into the weeds so i can understand <laughs> well
5: yeah and it addresses what what we what we talked about and you know b- making it a this form work for either a single location or a neighborhood but uh um you know just maybe making that uh, a little bit more clear
10: okay
6: Um. I see that there's an option for like resident, or residents, plural, or neighborhood association um, to submit an application. And it has to be from a registered neighborhood association. And this is just an example, but I live in a neighborhood that has a registered neighborhood association, but has not been active since 1993. I, I emailed the contact and she was like, well, we haven't done anything since the 1993 floods. So, um, but she, whatever. Anyways, the point was, how do we navigate, some, or how would um, residents navigate that w- potentially with the neighborhood, an inactive neighborhood association, or does it even matter?
10: That's that's something we've heard, you know, many times before, and so that that's what we're attempting to, to provide that option of. You know, you may have a neighborhood association, but it's not active, or it's not engaged, or you don't think you'll get support that you would need for a neighborhood-wide project. So then, you know, as an individual, as a group of residents, you know, you can can apply as well. And and I guess I'm kind of envisioning that you may be able to informally kind of gauge the support and include, you know, Mm-hmm. Those areas that that you think, or that you get support, and and that will help define the footprint of the project. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we we we're attempting to address that uh, concern of the, the the non-active neighborhood associations.
5: But I wondered if it if it would be um, worth it to uh, put some wording in there that would encourage, you know, if a single resident is submitting it, but just encouragement that they. Collaborate with, you know, I mean two or three, or you know, just a not just a single, you know, have some communication with someone in the in the affected area that you know that's in their neighborhood. That maybe it's not a, a neighborhood association, just so that it's, you know, it's it's not you know one person's kind of pet peeve and nobody else cares about it and uh, you know if they have you know are encouraged at least I mean maybe it wouldn't be a requirement but just encouraged to, to get a letter of support from you know two or three other neighbors <coughs> or, or people who are in that affected area that it might strengthen the um, you know the applications that you're getting.
0: So I think that actually is uh, pretty clear in the flowchart but it's not so much in the text. So on the flowchart on the project request it says you can either have a resident statement of interest and statements of support or a neighborhood association statement of interest and statements of support. So it kind of gives those two options there. Like you can just be like one person or a small group of people regardless of your established status or an association. But then in the text it says, residents or neighborhood associations concerned about traffic safety issues, blah, 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 blah. But it doesn't necessarily say like, Residents with the support of their neighbors. It just says residents. So I think that may be a bit of a gap in terms of making it clear that you should probably have some support instead of just um, Just submitting something without anybody else looking at it Mm -hmm. And I guess to a question I had and that was is there kind of like a minimum threshold for support or are they all judged kind of on their own merits? I'm like wow this one's got 10 people this one has one person that
10: that was uh, something I recognized after this was published was and, and that's a question for you guys. Is there should there be a threshold? What, what do you think a threshold would look like? Um, yeah, that's that's I th- tough. I think I've seen, you know, definitely majority, like a sixty percent or a two-thirds majority. But then you got to kind of define, you know, who do you mm. survey. Um,
5: yeah. This what what the yeah the, the
10: you, you really want just area. the people impacted by it to support it? You know, someone to block over and say yes, but it doesn't impact them.
0: Yeah, I almost or, wonder or if no,
10: when it doesn't impact them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I almost wonder if, if if it could just be like. A cover letter for a job application like you don't technically have to have one having one's going to help you a really good one's going to really help you mm-hmm. use your best judgment if you really want this to happen you're going to need some support so like i personally would prefer it be more of a suggestion than a threshold as much as i like metrics and numbers i don't know if it's this appropriate here simply because there's a huge differential and capability for organizing and also it doesn't necessarily mean anything even if you get 50 percent of your neighborhood association on as you found out quickly in old west lawrence doesn't mean the other 50% really is on board at all. <laughs> so, like, how much is enough? You have no idea. Mm-hmm. And and I guess you know I, I guess we've kind of baked in the
10: you know pursuing the projects is contingent on meeting thresholds for traffic calming. So right. So mm-hmm. we're like, not going to go all the way, you know, develop a project that you know doesn't doesn't meet our criteria. Right. It, is
4: it possible somewhere in this flow chart? Let's just say. You know, I live on a certain block and I really want speed bumps quite badly and I submit something to the city and the speed bumps are maybe going to affect the people on my block or in the neighborhood. And if there's a you know, something stuck to the door, a, a door hanger or something with a QR code, even before the city really does any work and expends a lot of time and money. Because I mean, the issue with community involvement, I think, is like nobody cares until something's happening. And the problem is, by that point, the city probably spent a lot of money and time developing a project and moving it down the road. And that's unfortunate. So uh, I wonder if it's like I have an issue, and here's a little QR code, and go scan this, and just do you think this is a good idea, yes or no? Because people are inherently lazy. Uh, until they get mad about something, and then they're not. So it's like, okay, you can be lazy, that's fine, but we're not going to spend a lot of money and time because you're lazy. Does that make sense? It makes all kinds of sense. Absolutely.
2: This is, this is the problem that got us to where we're at. Yeah. Is In the past, there was a pretty clear set of criteria. Staff would apply it, and then they would bring it to <clears throat> the Traffic Safety Commission for consideration If it got approved, it goes on a list. So there was the extent of community engagement was if the person that requested it got the support of a certain percentage of people within so many feet of the proposed um, traffic calming device. And so you might be right outside of that space. So you don't know about it until it's already scheduled to be built. So there was then you're already really in, in, into the, you know, you spent a lot of money. Um, so buying temporary devices was an attempt to say, how do we get something that starts to get people's attention without spending, without being you know, irreversible, or out, without spending too much money? But if, you, if all you do is give them a postcard saying, hey, we're talking about this, that also might not get their attention. And so you're, you're kind of, how do you get people's attention when something might happen in their neighborhood before, it's, before you've spent too much money? The traffic calming devices that were temporary achieved that goal if it got people's attention. <laughs> um, the Neighborhood Association, I don't know how they tried to engage the public beforehand, but even when staff tries to, it doesn't get the same response as it does when you literally go out and put Traffic calming, temporary traffic calming, in those areas. So really, I think that's the that's the magic spot we're trying to figure out is mm-hmm. how do you generate enough attention that you get enough input so you don't make a you know a bad um, you know put a lot of time into it or money into it. I th- what I think staff has learned is they shouldn't start this process. If, in fact, it won't even meet the, like, the engineering standards around adding in traffic calming. Because it leaves the neighborhood or the requester kind of in this place where they think anything's possible. The fact is, not everything's possible. So there's kind of that filter of just engineering expertise. And then there's the challenge of what's the reaction going to be in the neighborhood? How How do you solicit enough input? early enough that it leads to, you know, positive outcome. And that's, I don't know there's an easy answer, but this is a little better than it was before. Um, and we're, that's, that's why we're piloting it mm-hmm. and now tweaking it. So
6: I'm thinking about rezoning notices, right? Mm-hmm. Like if there's a property that's getting rezoned within a certain radii of that property, Property owners get notified, right?
2: They get. how it was? Yeah. The previous okay. approach was mm-hmm. basically like that. X number of feet. I don't remember if it was 300, 200, 100, 400. Yeah. But literally, it wasn't very far. In yeah. A neighborhood that's, if a street is going to be, if there's going to be traffic calming on this street, the street over here, and over here, they weren't part of the request, mm-hmm. but they felt the impact of it. So that was part of the challenge of that original model is it led to impacts in traffic that essentially then disrupted everyone else. And the one street felt happy.
6: Yeah, I think my my what I was gonna say is like, if we can broaden the radii, perhaps mm-hmm. it, it solves a problem because once a rezoning goes through, there's no recourse, right? Like it's like, it's been rezoned. The property owner can do what they want with that property at that point. So, I don't know if there's a way to do it so that, like, when there's a street that's applying for this, or you know, the, the application goes in here, if we change the criteria and the radii in which we notify people so that people are getting notified. I mean, you're right, like, Maybe. people get up, upset once the change is happening, but like I said, if Again, I'm coming back to that rezoning idea. It's like, if it's rezoned, like people can get upset about it all they want, but the project's moving forward.
0: So I think what it sounds like then is there may need to be some discretion here in determining how wide the radius actually is, because it's not always clear, right? If you're out in the burbs where everything's a curvilinear disconnected street grid, one street may affect really far out streets. Like if if you, put a couple speed bumps here, then like you're gonna go way out of your way to wait. They might, right? But then if you're on a tight grid like North Lawrence or East Lawrence, might not be a very big area of influence, you know? Maybe you'll just go one street over, right? And I think it seems like that's built into the flow chart where at the end of the project scoping phase, staff is basically helping to make the determination, is this a neighborhood scale project or is this a minor project based on all the data that you gather and the people who you talk to? It seems like that's built in. Am I correct in assuming that? I was actually <laughs> anticipating that happening
10: even earlier with with that initial kind of stakeholder meeting where we define the footprint as, you know, is is this going to spill over to the adjacent streets or is it, yeah, is it a, out where there's not adjacent streets and, and so I it see. can stand alone a little more. Like define project footprint probably. So that's, that's the right,
2: discretion.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and, that, and it, it really has to be collaborative right yeah and and because you guys know more about traffic engineering than the average joe so you know even if they think oh it's only going to slow down traffic on my street you're like hold up we happen to know that this is a network and we think that's going to affect other people let's bring them in but before you make all your neighbors mad and and good or bad we have kind of every
10: kind of type of street layout within our city so we we yeah. really have to use judgment
0: to yeah to help define that i mean as much as i like predictable processes and not leaving room for discretion, I feel like in some cases it is kind of warranted and it does allow for context sensitivity. But if it's being done in collaboration with the affected neighbors, I feel like that's a good kind of discretion probably. Um, At least that's just my personal view.
2: Is that step one that would come to the commission or whatever its future iteration is? Or would it be a staff? I don't think so. It's part of the staff process.
10: I don't know if I'm sharing screen, but yeah, I was um, it, yeah in, intending that part to happen with that initial stakeholder meeting after the the request, where the the red text of define the project footprint there.
2: But when that project footprint is, at what point does that become made? What is it? When is it made public? I guess. Like how would a neighborhood know that this project is being evaluated if they weren't if they weren't part of the submission group?
0: I uh, it would be in the public survey to identify concerns, refine scope, and set criteria for success. So on the upper what next page I think.
2: But the footprint is what's gonna determine who gets surveyed. <coughs> yeah. Right. So if if the survey if the footprint is if the public might object to the footprint thinking that they should be part of it. Is there a way for the public to even be aware that the footprint has been determined?
0: I guess it depends on how we define public survey. Is this like a Lawrence Liston survey or is this a targeted one to people within the project area?
2: That's a good question.
6: Well I think that it's like a it's the meetings with stakeholders category. It's like define find the project footprint and notify affected areas.
0: And establish a stakeholder working group. Like, who is a stakeholder exactly? Mm-hmm. I mean, at some point, you're going to have to draw a boundary because I think when it came to the Old West Lawrence pilot, you had a lot of people weighing in who probably didn't live in Old West Lawrence and were like, hey, man, I can't get as fast through here as I used to. Like, eh. mm-hmm. it's tough, right? I mean, it's not your neighborhood, so it's, I think, in some cases, the people who live in a place have a little bit more of a right to determine how safe their streets are than people who use it as cut through. So I feel like it'll be tricky to actually establish that stakeholder working group. Um, But it seems like geography and proximity base is probably the way it's going to go, right? I would assume so.
6: Yeah. We might consider moving that public survey from that project refinement area up earlier. Um, I don't know if meetings with stakeholders or project evaluation, maybe somewhere in there. Because I do want you guys to avoid, or so we can avoid having you guys get too far down the road with it.
7: Oh. Uh-oh.
0: <laughs> Nobody's saying anything important. <laughs> no important things. <laughs> so, Dustin, how, how frequently do you get requests from
4: citizens who want... An alteration to Sorry, the. Hold
8: on. We
0: yeah. pause, oh. Can we hold that one? That's an important question. It actually is important. Oh. Yeah. I want to hold it until Christine So we're, we're so offline I right now. Oh, got it. You are important, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean you can speak right now. <laughs> I mean, you can speak, you just have to repeat yourself, know. So, I mean, <laughs> if you want to practice it.
2: Technically, uh, take one. <laughs> Probably. So, yeah, so, yeah is I is think we're technically in common violation. nobody going here.
0: Man, there's so many important things I want to talk about. Too bad.
4: <laughs> My neighbor across the street, he works for Zoom, so anytime I have an issue with Zoom, I text him. I'm no like, it's way. your fault. <laughs> it's like I do technical documentation, leave me alone. Yeah. That is a convenient resource. I know. Yeah. <laughs> if only he had proper connections. Yeah, but, uh, I just enjoy blaming him for everything. <laughs>
0: That is weird. So some people are still in the Zoom the meeting. On, yeah. Okay. Well,
8: it's still on because Kurt's on. There's okay. just
10: no
7: sound frame, <clears throat> so. Oh.
10: No. Oh. Earlier. I
9: guess we see I
5: apologize. <laughs> okay.
9: All right. Are we good?
5: No. Oh, not yet. <laughs> oh. not She's restarting right. her her.
2: This oh. is what it um, I may have to reboot to oh, oh, boy. There's nothing that a
0: good old re- reboot won't solve. <laughs> Hardly.
11: Hey, Kurt. Can you? If you turn on someone else's mic, will it work? I love
6: the um, line from the Macquarie I mean, Dynamite
11: front. Technology. I think this is odd. Uh, so you restarted it, right? Well, Where's that? It restarted itself. Yes. Now awesome. it's <laughs> <laughs> saying that I can't connect to the audio again. It's like, well, yeah, I, I'm getting audio, but yeah, I'm worried that. Uh, I guess we'll find out. Ryan, can
3: you actually hear us? <laughs> Ryan,
2: mm-hmm. give us a thumbs up if you can hear us.
6: Nope. Yeah, I do think though that technology,
2: like enabling people to be able
6: to access it easier is a good. You know, it's like, like I think about, like I have kids. Right. And once the I can go to public. To public
2: to let it. Whereas right. I couldn't before.
7: Okay. You
6: know, right.
2: So. We got a thumbs up. Yeah. I, I hear okay. you. I'm just going to ignore this computer. Ooh, look. There's
0: like an infinite. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Signal. So we're back. Okay. Sean, you're on. Do you remember what your question was? No,
4: no. Just, it was something about people Just something.
0: kidding. Uh, okay, so
4: how how frequently do you get requests from Lawrence citizens to make a change in traffic calming on their street or their neighborhood or whatever? So
10: we get requests multiple times a month, you know. Just roughly, like an average. How many? How many a month do you get? You think? Um. Probably between one and like five every month you know and but like cage that a little bit with you know it's people are speeding on my street i need a speed hump in front of my house like you know not necessarily any data or or anything beyond you know one vehicle flew by and i'm upset about it so i call like so a lot of it is that and you know We work our way through those collecting data to see if there's, you know, actually a concern. And then we've kind of been stockpiling that data to, you know, evaluate with this first round of of projects.
4: I only ask because I wonder, uh, like, do you have an opportunity as a city staff to to actually speak to them on
10: the phone? Is that, like, part of the process when they Yeah, if they they do leave contact information, yeah, we we try to to follow up and, and get a better understanding of of what where you know and and talk them through the process of you know we're in the process of revising our our neighborhood traffic management program and you know the next round of applications will be ready early 2024 and and that's that's kind of what we've been doing in this holding pattern for the last year or so
0: got it and I think part of the interesting histories here is that there used to be a process for that back when this was the Traffic Safety Commission where neighbor associations and individuals basically like state their grievances and be like, I wanna speed bump here. And oftentimes it would be successful, but there was a long list and there was never gonna be enough funding to do it. Once we transitioned to the Transportation Commission and now the MMTC, that kind of went away. There was no established process for people to come to the commission necessarily. So instead people would go straight to Dustin or Jake or Dave or whoever. To, to kind of air that, and I, you guys have been keeping a file of them, of course, but it's a probably a huge list, and there's not a convenient way to maybe present that to us, or what do you do about it, right? Every once in a while something comes up and it's so, so, you know, so egregious that it becomes a capital project, right? But typically it's like, well, I mean, when we redo that street, we'll get to it, right? So I think it was last year, maybe this year earlier, where there had been some talks with various neighborhood groups of like, how do we get things like we don't want parking on this street or we do want parking on the street and we we think this intersection is super gnarly but it's really just this intersection and there we had even a study session about it like how do we have almost like a small claims list right because the ntmp solves the issue of the holistic look at entire neighborhoods that maybe have issues everywhere but it didn't solve the issue of just like one bad street that could fix a whole a whole area if it was addressed so I, i feel like this is that solution finally, which is awesome. So we're finally back to the point of having a real process for collecting uh, citizen input and getting it onto a list and evaluating it in a process that is, though discretionary, transparent, which is awesome. So um, it's yeah, this is something we've envisioned for a while, and then here we are. I think it. We'll see how it goes.
2: So I'll just add. I think the challenge is we don't that. So the neighborhood traffic management program was intended to also think about the entire uh, city Mm -hmm. and not just become another way to do traffic calming projects. So Mm -hmm. putting it at the neighborhood level was very intentional. But what we learned is maybe we're missing out on some projects that aren't the entire neighborhood, but they could be really impactful yeah so it's kind of saying how do we how do we bring the pendulum back a little bit mm-hmm. so we can recognize smaller level interventions that could be really useful and then you know there's funding now for this project. Years ago, there was a list of twenty approved traffic calming projects with no funding so even if you resurrected that list, um, we'd have to figure out. How do we prioritize it? How do we do the community engagement? You know, what's the footprint that it'd be impacted? Is it the whole neighborhood? Is it half of a neighborhood? <coughs> you know, as we know, some neighborhoods are really well defined and some are, you know, kind of on paper only. So what's the community engagement look like before we rush in and say, yeah, put a speed hump here and do this here? So that was kind of the idea of buying the temporary Um, devices to be able to do more experimental, you know, engagement um, with the idea, you know, looking at, you've probably read articles about communities where they've done this guerrilla traffic kind of planning where they throw things out and see what happens and then they change it and then they try again. And so it's just like how do we get the tools to be able to do that? Because that makes for better public engagement. Gives people a chance to see what does it really look like to do this kind of change before we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, so, yeah, this is just an iterative process, I guess, is the yeah. way to think about it. I
0: mean, it. that's the way a lot of our longstanding initiatives have, have been. They mm-hmm. were rolled out by staff and staff asked for feedback based on performance and our thoughts and they've been improved based on, you know, additional data over the years and we're in a much better place than we were four or five years ago. Um, like street maintenance is now a five year running program. We now have a really great way to prioritize non-motorized projects, like things are pretty good. And I feel like this is one of those two, like we're kind of just starting, restarting with this kind of small claims list of how can we target, you know, very minor projects on single streets, but it'll it'll improve. And I I think it's already starting in a good place, but like all things that involve public engagement, we'll see how it goes in reality, right? Like this seems like a pretty good idea. I don't see anything wrong with this, but we'll see, (laughs) we'll see what, you know, what well, red flags pop up? It's the best you can do.
6: I see the list of like potential interventions that are you know following the report here. Of those, what are the sort of inexpensive, sort of um, temporary uh, test pilot applications that could be done? Because these look like you know permanent. Uh, mm
0: applications I think so all of them have a temporary version except for speed table i think that's the only one that there's no such plastic device that we have currently but i think everything else can be done with bollards and i forget what the little tiny roundabouts was, was there like a tire in the middle of the road That they were i'm sure it wasn't a tire. maybe a homer <laughs> <A-bales. bucket>. yeah <laughs> i forget what it was it was little. Um, but, oh. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think all these do have an analog in the temporary plastic mm-hmm. realm, right?
2: I think to your point, though, like, if this is going to be a primer, uh, maybe there needs to be picture of them. education to the public about how we don't just jump in and put these permanent things in place, that we have these other tools so they can test the waters. Yeah, yes. and that's good. Yep. Pictures of those, maybe describing that whole entire... Phase of the project would be useful, so they they know that we're not. This is a slow process. We slow down for this work.
4: <laughs> so as far as communication with citizens in general with these kinds of projects, this is this is kind of marketing, in a way. And uh, I, you know, emails are kind of boring. And I'm sure there's certain, like Facebook accounts or Instagram accounts that the city runs that are also. Very boring, you know, like I, I don't know if I'm going to follow, you know, Lawrence transportation Instagram account. However, I, I wonder if there's any kind of potential to collaborate with like unmistakably Lawrence or something to sneak in some real practical, uh, municipal relevant stuff in with their really fun posts about really pretty Christmas lights downtown. You know, I don't know if that's an aspect of this that is considered as you're trying to get just community
0: engagement. It's one of the E's, right? Education. Uh, yeah. I would assume so. I mean, the the city's Facebook account does have pretty regular updates that do include this, in addition to also like the Christmas lights and the horse parade and stuff. Yeah. Um, but if you don't follow it, eh, what are you gonna do, right? Mm-hmm. Tabling has been pretty useful for the MPO, and um, planning department. Do you guys do tabling as well at various events? Oh, uh, we did tabling
10: uh, when we did the the big uh, public campaign. Okay. Did That's several events. Time. Yeah.
0: And you're doing it right now for the 14th to 23rd Street thing. So, well, I don't know if that's table. It's more like a town hall open house, but...
10: Kind of open house, yeah. Large table. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I do think going to land would probably be helpful. I don't know if you've already had that in your plans, but um, they're always looking for guest speakers, and a lot of their, well, at least some of their more vocal and long-time members came to that Your Turn session, and I'm kind of surprised there's no public comment from them on here at all. So, <laughs> I think... I was... Yeah, surprised by that as
10: well. And actually, I did go to LAN, um, geez, way back in 2020, I think, when we were getting ready for the kind of relaunch of the <laughs> of the whole program. Yeah. but Yeah, I haven't been back since, so that's, that's a good idea.
0: Um, yeah, like I've drafted an email here to um, LAN just to kind of say like, hey, by the way, if you didn't see this, like they incorporated almost all of your comments. Um, so you should read it see what you think, get back to Dustin directly. I'm hopefully yeah. sorry. That'd be great, thank yeah, you. Just to kind of get that going because I'm sure they'll have comments. Um, there, there was one or a couple of technical questions I, I did have actually. Um, one of the comments that came up during the Yurchin session was that it costs money to send out mailers and stuff mm-hmm. or even to compensate people for the time to go door knocking. And I forget who raised it, but there's an idea of like, could there be some maybe funding support for neighborhoods who are you know, transportation disadvantaged or demonstrate some kind of need for, you know, a little bit of help to get people on board because that would be a good investment for the city's sake too, right? I mean, if, if, if they can do the marketing upfront, then that's something that you don't have to do later, hopefully, um, obviously that means more money has to go in the program, but perhaps when this gets pitched to the city, next budget cycle, it's like, can we just maybe put $10,000 in here or something for mailers? Um I don't even know. I don't know how that would be doled out necessarily. Just,
10: I mean, yeah. postcards are cheap. Like sent six hundred and some to Old West Lawrence. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's primarily primarily how you guys do it, right? You send out postcards to the neighborhood.
10: Is it called like the we top? we try all the channels, but yeah, it seems like we get kind of mixed results from from each channel. N- none of them really stand out as the most effective. So we still try to hit all of them.
0: And most effective is having a temporary speed bump in front of your house, right?
10: That, yeah, yeah, yeah does it, it,
0: it does It does not trick. You'll get feedback. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, put a sign up.
2: Well, you got a postcard.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah put it. This is your problem, check your mail, man. Um, we so there, there's a part of the flowchart that, that indicates that there is a chance that, that the, the, the engineering or the pilot plan can't actually meet the goals of the stated um, problem. I'm 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 trying to envision a case that that would happen where it's like sorry, nothing in the engineering literature can help with your problem. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, it was basically the n- no route on the flowcharts. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one is, you know, the project doesn't meet the thresholds for traffic calming treatments. I can see that happening. Where it's like, this seems like a problem, trust me, but like compared to <clears throat> geez, compared to other stuff in the city, it's really not that much of a priority. But on the other hand, there's the one where it says, can it be revised to meet the criteria for success? No. Well, that means that either the traffic calming doesn't adequately address the concerns, which is like, well, can't we just throw more traffic calming at it? Is there ever such a thing as like, you can't throw enough speed bumps at this problem to adequately slow or deter cars. Is that a scenario? I
10: think speed bumps and speed. Yeah, you I. Know, I don't think that would would apply. I think you know they're typically very effective. Yeah. But I. I that's more probably with a, a volume concern, where. Hmm. You know, I. I. I mean just looking back at old west lawrence we did something very restrictive that was very effective
0: yeah. but not supported at all it's almost like and the traffic coming will address the concern but it's not an acceptable solution to the stakeholders yes
10: um, and and that would hopefully be you know um, identified or we would not propose a solution that was not supported by the stakeholders because it you know potentially was was too restrictive like that
5: isn't it also engineering standards in terms of i mean certain treatments according to the volume on that street and Mm -hmm. um, uh, volume and speed i guess the the two of those so it's i mean it wouldn't i mean the stakeholders might still be uh, in favor of it but if it's got five Mm. cars a day then
2: yeah I, i saw this as bringing back the standards that were in place with the traffic safety commission basically there would be an evaluation of the request and the, the findings were, actually, there's not a speed problem or a volume problem. There's there's not an issue.
0: I think that's the previous one where it says, notify yeah. the requester that the project does not meet the thresholds. I think that's yeah. where that would be. What page be. are you on? Uh, I'm on the giant one, so 23 that's, out of 210. Mm-hmm. Or 8 out of 25?
2: Yeah, 25.
0: Depending on what's... Come
2: on, 8 out of 25, end process. Yeah, Notify so the requester.
0: Yeah, I think that, that first bullet point is, is, I think, what you're talking yeah. about. Where like, this doesn't really make, make any sense. But the second flowchart is when we've actually looked at it. And okay. everything we throw at this still does meet your goal. Or, and maybe clarification is warranted here. Like, so. if, if the... Because it, it seems like it's unlikely that there's not an engineering solution to it, right? There's always an engineering solution to it. But is, is the cost okay and is the consequence okay, right? So I wonder if like, maybe it's notify stakeholder working group that the traffic calming proposal, I guess is not acceptable. <laughs> like the only thing that would address the concerns isn't acceptable. It's like, it turns out we're m- more okay with having cars speed down our street than we are having fewer cars on our street.
2: Which could happen. Is in here the pilot of the devices? Is that what the no is? Like, it turns out the devices didn't actually calm the traffic?
0: You know? Let's see. Um, Select recommended option, but then do recommended option? Okay, collect data with temporary devices in place. Yeah. And then you go down. So it's on the left center. Collect data with temporary devices in okay. place. But so then it's only after that if you say, did it work, did it not? But right.
2: So it's really that the devices didn't achieve the outcome. Yeah. That's why you're saying.
0: Correct.
10: Don't uh, or, or potentially they're not supported or not feasible. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, because Old West Lawrence, you know, had a goal of. You know, every street 20 miles per hour or less and mm-hmm. that's probably not a realistic goal.
0: Okay, that would be interesting too, yeah. So I guess there's a whole bunch of reasons for why the no path will continue to be followed. Like, we can address most of it, but we cannot address all of it. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. So with this flow chart though, I mean, what we were just talking about with, you know, the engineering standards as far as volume and speed, mm-hmm. does this implying that you would put temporary devices in first and then I mean you're evaluating the criteria for success um, let me get back to that project meets criteria for success so is that is that the point when you're talking about both stakeholders and and also the engineering part of it because it seems like you would have that information be back here when your additional data collection and is the question at that point is it does it meet does it meet the criteria for success or a, a project at all i guess so
10: yeah so this speed and volume thresholds come in in the previous step 1 the previous page before we even pursue the project to the to the step 2 okay but then i think the criteria for success could be you know measurables of we reduce speeds, this okay. percent, or we we okay. we got our eighty-fifth percentile gotcha. speed down to, you know, twenty-seven or, or those kind of criteria. Okay,
5: gotcha.
6: I um, I I mean, I guess this isn't maybe personal self-interest, but I wonder or of the commission. I noticed that the first time the the MMTC is engaged is like after the project eval. If it doesn't meet like, if it's ended there, this is on page 8 of 25. But um, if it goes to scoping, like, proceeds, the MMTC isn't engaged until, like, public engagement and approval. And, I mean, I don't know, Would i probably want to know if we were implementing a temporary device or what the status is of
2: the project for that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I was actually thinking even where it comes to the project footprint, Mm. like if that's discretionary, would it help to have that, um, you know, brought brought here as a way to kind of provide sort of a double check, you know, if the public says, no, that's not the right footprint. It's going to impact me over here and you aren't including me, that kind of thing.
0: Is this at defined Project Footprint step?
2: Yeah, I was going further back. In terms of mm-hmm. the question really being, where does MMTC get engaged? Because engaging MMTC also opens up the public to be able to be mm-hmm. invited in, or at least be made, made aware.
0: I mean, at the risk of uh, overloading staff with you know dozens of projects that could that could come in. I'm, I'm personally okay with holding off until the second step where it's like, okay, now we have a stakeholder working group and then we can present the, those options. I, I don't know, I guess it depends on, on how many requests you think are gonna be coming in. If it's just like a couple a year, yeah, we can handle that, sure. But if it ends up being a lot and this is very well received and popular, then it might be difficult to juggle that. That being said, our agendas have been pretty light this year so, I mean, there's time for it, so
2: well, I think the go part is away. going to be a temporary um, installation that definitely feels like
0: yeah is there be, is there no touch point before that uh-uh.
2: i mean's that's probably the most impactful step and to have a have that be made public
10: yes are are you thinking we would need yeah. um, an action item or yeah, you know, like, a, like a here's the regular agenda item to take action and, on, or just you know, a staff update at earlier steps.
2: I would say to why not ask for approval to continue, like to move forward?
0: Could we do it at the end of the step one flowchart where you'd identify the project as a neighborhood or a minor project? And we could say, yeah, sounds good. Or I don't know if we think this is the right radius. I mean, it, it it's going to be our, our layperson's, you know. Uh, assessment versus you know people who know how networks work but it's still helpful I think
2: but it's not just that it's also the public gets to see before it ever happens yeah here's a picture or a diagram of of where of what's gonna occur so it's like here's the tentative proposed intervention and these temporary devices are gonna be installed it feels like a good opportunity for a preview by the public
0: Would we be okay with recommending something at the end of step one then? Because there is on the no route where if things don't work out and you're like, yeah, it's not worth it, um, then you report results and conclusions. And I feel like that could be a step item, honestly.
10: Okay. Or, yeah, do
0: both. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's the same meeting, at least. But, like, on the yes side, that sounds like, like you're saying, Charlie, that that'd be a good opportunity for an agenda item where we could also basically incorporate public engagement at that early step to at least build awareness, you know, because people yeah. won't even know if it's not. Make an- sure we've got the right footprint, got the yeah. right stakeholders identified. I, that seems appropriate. And I, I feel like our workload recently has not been super heavy, so I feel like we could we could add that.
2: Well, the footprint is earlier, so I'm, I, that's what I was but just But there's
10: there's room for, for input at the... At
2: to me, that would be less important than... We're about to, you know, there's about to be a change to our streets Mm-hmm. Even though it's temporary, that one feels like super critical.
0: So, where in the uh, the flowchart are you looking at then? The d- directly after defined project footprint, or
2: where is the part about implement recommended option using temporary devices? So I was so thinking prior to that.
0: I was thinking the sheet above this even.
2: So I'm imagining, I'm not going to speak for the Journal World or the Lawrence Times, <laughs> but you know this is the moment when they would put it in the paper. Hey. This is going to be uh, happening, and it gets people excited. And if they didn't get the postcard, they might read the news. Mm -hmm. And then they show up here and say, this is good. This is ridiculous. What are you guys doing? You know, this that feels like a pretty good time to...
0: So if you'll humor me and scroll up a sheet, I think maybe we're on the same page here of doing it earlier. So that final block under the yes route, where we're identifying the project as a neighborhood project or a minor project. I feel like at this point, this is a critical point before it enters the list, you know? Like, okay, it meets thresholds. Somebody cares enough to have submitted on it. And we're probably gonna define it as a neighborhood or a minor project. But before we get going, let, 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 let's make sure that we've kind of gone over this flowchart, that we understand the footprint, who are the stakeholders, what are the concerns? And that would be the agenda item is basically like review step one flowchart.
6: I mean, I would move, I would honestly move the defined project footprint down to project scoping and that's where you engage the MMTC because that's, you know, like, does the project meet, you know, engineering thresholds, right? Like, if it doesn't, then it ends there, right? But if it's moving forward, then we can we can really hone in on these are the boundaries of the affected footprint, this is what the project scope looks like, this is an opportunity for the wider general public to provide feedback beyond just like the one-on-one meetings with the, in- the stakeholders that have already come. I-, I mean, that's where it makes sense to me.
2: That sounds like it's before you get to see a diagram like we saw with the Old West Lawrence. Mm. So I'm not opposed to that, but it just, you if we were to prioritize way. which one is the public it would be the one where you see oh there's going to be this device on in mm-hmm. front of my house yeah. i want to come and say yes or no to that i don't uh, like that that feels like if you look at like when st- that happens before that happens there ought to be a chance for the public to be be aware that that's about to happen not just the postcard but literally create the space for them to come and surface their concern
0: it sounds like we're all following on a continuum of project timeline here so yeah so another um, way saying is as soon as we even are defining the project footprint I'm somewhere in between like we know the footprint but, but we want to make sure that we're barking up the right tree and trailer you're saying is as long as we get it before the devices are down Pat do you have yeah,
5: a... Well, just on step 2 a we're project refinement that's when the stakeholder working group is established you know and and then that's additional data collection and and then the last one is determine locations and treatment options so it seems like within that step at some point is when maybe it should come to the commission because that's the point at which they would be talking about the, the locations that you know that we've been discussing as far as you know getting attention you know so it seems like if it came in at that point um because then project about, or then it goes to the recommendations, and so somewhere in between those two seems like is when it should at least th- that point coming to MMTC. I mean, maybe there's another hmm. point earlier, just in terms of general. Maybe that's a staff item, and this is a, this is an action purposes. item.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think that's a really important point. There's two different purposes to bringing it here. The one is to bring in people and make it a public notification. The other one is to talk it over and mm-hmm. see, if, see what would make sense. maybe the solution here is two checkpoints? Sorry, Justin, I hate to throw this on you, but could, could we have one some, somewhere in the step one project flowchart where, okay, we, you, you guys as staff has, have generally defined, like, okay, the, the applicant says it's this street. We think using our engineering judgment, it's probably the two parallel streets next to it also, and this intersection, like, that's our tentative project footprint. Does it meet the thresholds? That's something that you can do administratively. And then is it going to be a neighborhood project or a minor project? You can also do that administratively, but hold up. There's a gate. Before we go on, let's make sure that everybody's on board with this. And that's the public notification meeting mm-hmm. where
5: it's almost like, yeah want It's on the agenda. and
0: Yeah, that's uh, something that's advertised. But there's
5: not anything specific about the project really other yeah. than maybe the... the sc- The scope and nothing else.
0: And I think the reason that touch point is really important is because it sets us up for the next one, which is established stakeholder working group. And it should be way easier to establish that if people are coming out of the woodwork already for that first meeting, instead of having them come out later, like, nobody told me about this. So I think that is the, somebody told you about this Mm -hmm. first one. And then once we get that stakeholder working group, then we can have a more focused set of people who are working on that second touch point that will happen Like Charlie was saying, you know, right like as we're determining the the locations of treatment options. Does that sound like a reasonable structure?
2: What I got one question though. Looks like step two A. So the stuff in red is what staff are gonna do. That project selection is a staff item. So page eight of twenty-five is really happening before we've even selected a project. Right. Do we wanna are you asking that the staff provide in their staff reports all the things that are being considered or are we waiting to know what they've actually selected in step 2A?
0: So what I'm envisioning is that once once the end of this, the page 8 of 25. Um, once the end of that flowchart has been reached, before it goes on a list, it's about to go on a list, right? It's, it's hit the threshold, it's got support, but before it does, there's going to be an agenda item as a review and also like a call to participation essentially.
10: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Does that I, answer your I, question? I don't know if I actually answered and it. I, I apologize. I should have given you a, a kind of overview because of, there are three flowcharts. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first page of the flowchart, step one, is kind of the, the weeding out process of Yeah. everybody submits everything they're interested in. We weed through it and see if it meets the volume and speed thresholds before we put more effort into it. But we do meet with them to discuss that data Mm -hmm. and and concerns and then let them know one way or the other it meets the thresholds or it doesn't. And then at the very end of that first kind of weeding out step, we identify is it a a neighborhood-wide project or a
0: a smaller project. And, and it goes then, on a list, right? Yeah. OK. And, and then
10: That's
1: we would. The staff
2: item?
0: Everything up until it goes on the list, basically, right? All that is covered by staff?
2: No, I mean, in terms of our agenda.
0: Oh, no, I think it should be a, f- a full on thing. So what? At like, the end
10: of that, step one, be Make a. <laughs> approve the identified projects or something yeah. of that nature. Okay. I think so, yeah. yeah. Okay. A, a,
0: approve is strong, so but I, project, I think
2: it's okay. project selection is on our agenda. Mm-hmm. Like, here's the recommendation from staff. I think we're going to have to... For feedback on that recommendation or yeah. whatever.
0: I think we may have to play it by ear. We'll see how it goes. I mean, it, it may end up being like in city commission where they have so many things to approve that there's a consent agenda. Like, okay, this doesn't really work and we're getting too far in the weeds. So I, I, I think at first to start off, we should probably bring the first couple that come through to us at the end of this step one flowchart, But then if it starts to be a little bit too much, it's like, okay, people obviously know about this process. We don't really need to have this notification thing anymore. Then maybe that can become a stuff item instead. Like, hey, just so you know, four more projects are on the list and move yeah, on. That makes sense. But I think t- to start, more communication is better than less.
2: So kind of in the space between step one and
0: step two. Like it's basically the decision gate. The, the end of yeah. step step one. Yeah.
2: You know, mm-hmm. step
10: two. And so then moving on to the the next two pages of the flowchart. So we identify as a neighborhood project. So that's sheet two of the flowchart is the neighborhood process, and then sheet three is the the minor project process. So
0: mm-hmm.
10: Should have. Uh, clarified
0: that earlier. Apologize. I, I think it's actually pretty clear. I think we've yeah, just been focusing go. on 2 way because... Was, well it, there's, because yeah, right there's a lot
10: more there. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's like kind of what the NTMP was based on originally, but also just logistically, it's the page right next to the one we're talking about, so. Um, uh, yeah. I think it all makes sense. Do we have anything in minor project flowchart to rethink the footprint if it turns out that the traffic calming devices are having effect beyond the the initially studied area? Like, could that be maybe a loop to add? I guess as an engineer myself, we always assume a design basis and then you do your best and maybe at 60% it turns out, whoops, not quite. There is some new information that's come to light, you know? Is everybody else okay with that?
2: Well, the part what I'm doing. a little unclear about is the second box under 2B. Yeah. Present recommendation for minor traffic calming projects to the Multimodal Transportation Commission. Mm-hmm. Is that the permanent devices? Because the next step is present <laughs> that to the City Commission.
0: Oh, that's that is weird.
2: And then under the under 2A, the previous page, it says present recommendation for permanent devices to the Multimodal. And then the next step is present recommendations for permanent devices to the City Commission. Mm. So I'm assuming you mean what the multimodal will see is the recommendation for the permanent. And we won't see any... What are the... um, Testing... uh, I don't know where where that's at, I guess. I think that's
5: why what we were talking about, though, is adding the multi MMTC into this step, the second step under project refinement before it went to temporary devices.
0: So maybe that box needs to be split to have the temporary version and then the...
2: I think it should be both version. temporary and the permanent ones. Right. Because the temporary one is like, that's what all of our meetings were with Old West Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And so that felt like, gives them that safeguard that hey, before this happens, you're gonna it's going to be a public meeting.
0: So are you saying maybe we should split that step and have a similar kind of feedback loop like there is for t- 2A?
2: Just something like that. Because the project evaluation under 2A, it does seem like there's going to be this iterative yeah. process with temporary devices. 2B, it's less clear that that happens.
0: Yeah. Dustin, do you think that would be possible, and I guess at the same time, is there a way that we can kind of limit the amount of iterations so that you're not spinning your wheels forever on one street? Because otherwise that, that might be unfair to other other applicants where yeah. it's like, you're just never satisfied, right? Um, like, you know, if after three iterations, I don't know, or two, if the project still cannot meet the criteria for success, then we're gonna do our best. That seems fair. And that's actually maybe a separate thing. So project completion on the no route, it says, sorry, it doesn't address the concerns. That's it. But what if it addressed it 80% instead of 100%? Is that still a worthwhile project to do? Could that still be a yes, just not as good of a yes?
2: Are you on two A's?
0: Yes, yeah. Sorry. So like, say, say for... The, For the example of Old West Lawrence, if if they wanted all the traffic on every single street to be 20 miles an hour, but that just was not feasibly possible, but they could get it on almost all streets. And if they're okay with that, like, well, okay, it doesn't meet the goals, but there's an understanding that we're gonna compromise and do our best based on the pilots that have been done. Currently, the way the flow chart is constructed, it, it basically is all or nothing. At least that's how it reads to me. So if there's a way to kind of say, well, you meant most of it. You still want a traffic calm. We're not gonna let Good be the enemy of, per- or perfect be the enemy of good, right?
2: Yeah, so partial cri- partially meet the criteria would be.
0: Yeah. It's not the SAT, it's an essay test, right?
2: Yeah, I assume the intent is to try to optimize, right? Yeah. To get the most you can without having to do... 20 iterations.
0: Yeah. So so, like, so in order to make that partial credit thing acceptable and to still have a pathway to success, even if you don't meet all all the goals, you're going to have to limit iterations because otherwise you're always going to want more and more and more, right? And that's, that's not really realistic either. So, hmm, well Dustin, I don't know if you want us to, to dive further in the weeds here, if that's enough to work with for, <laughs> or mm. visions, if what we're saying is even clear.
10: I guess my thinking on the the minor projects was that you know they they were evaluated against the speed and volume criterion step one, and with a a minor project it should be pretty you know s- speed was you know above the threshold volume was above the threshold we put speed bumps in and and go but.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's true if the boundary is the street that you're looking at, but I think the issue is if if you look at streets you around, we have it
10: the and spillover and sorry. So a so minor
2: project down. doesn't involve a stakeholder committee. Am I understanding that right?
10: That's public survey. There would there would still be a, a meeting with the the um, called applicants and stakeholders, but. Again, kind of the challenge of identifying stakeholders before you have the footprint. And.
2: So, hmm. I was
9: just going to ask: Is so it was intended that 2B didn't have temporary installations? Is that correct?
10: That was not the intention. No, that, that's, that's. I mean,
2: it, it feels like that's like 2B is missing a lot of stuff that's already in 2A, yeah. and it's feeling a little bit more like. 2B is is actually the old Traffic Safety Commission protocol. Yeah,
0: but I think with the lessons learned from the Neighborhood Traffic Management Program, we, we could apply those even to minor projects and make sure that we can mitigate spillover effects and also get the best design for the road without having to go full in on concrete. I mean, honestly, it could almost even be a matter of copy and paste for the most part, just maybe with fewer touch points because it's not as big of a stakeholder group, right? Like you still want to see if it meets the criteria for success. Does it need to be revised? Possibly.
2: Yeah, I just wonder that if, if the process is essentially just the same, the only difference is the scoping. Like you scope it at this level and or this level.
0: Uh, I, I think that's okay. I mean, in some cases, the scope really is limited just by the morphology of the road network. But in some cases, you really can't avoid a whole neighborhood issue. And I, I mean, it depends on the complaint as well, right? If the, if the complaint is cars are speeding everywhere in a neighborhood, like, okay, well, this probably is a neighborhood approach. If it's like 13th Street is a mess, well, probably minor, but we'll see, right? Um, that's, that's my understanding, at least.
2: Well, it's a process. Oh I didn't have a mic oh, okay. <laughs> Damon, you're not
0: talking loud enough. Just talk amongst yourselves. Okay. Um Thanks. Dustin, do you see any issues so far with the stuff that we have suggested? For example, by by adding the idea of some iterations or temporary stuff on the smaller projects. That was I I that was my mistake. I missed that. That's okay. I just wasn't sure if we were trying to ask too much for something that doesn't need to be that intense. just <laughs> wanna make sure we're on the same page. Okay. And I, I did want clarity on uh,
10: where we want the MMTC, MMTC step on 2A. Yeah.
2: I I feel like just if there's ever going to be a temporary installation or a permanent installation, each of those warrants a, a visit here. Okay. You know, or if there's a revision and then a, a change. but that at least provides that space for the public to say, yep. or for us even to point to and say, here we had a meeting.
10: So we, um, we have that in the, in the when we get to the permanent, towards the bottom, but I guess is looking at like in the recommendation step before we do the temporary?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so, that, yep. would, that would be where I'd want to put it.
0: So here's a counterpoint. If the stakeholder working group has been established <coughs> at this stage, Assuming it truly does represent the stakeholders involved, the locations and treatment options are are generally in their interest and worked through collaboratively between staff and <coughs> stakeholders. And then after it's implemented, we can see did it work, did, did it not? Do we need to go for another round? I feel like that's maybe when MMTC needs to be involved. But if but if all the other steps have been done so far, and we did get people out of the woodwork during the initial notification agenda item, then hopefully that stakeholder <coughs> working group is enough. To Did be, I don't,
2: I don't have confidence that you that's going to work. That. I think that I mean, when you put the installation, the temporary installation, yep. that's when you'll finally discover who yep. is impacted. And right. so, if there's a chance to tell the public, hey, we're considering temporary installation of these devices, they'll suddenly remember how it happened in Old West Lawrence, and they'll get activated and pay attention.
0: Yep. So, are you are you thinking of it? more um, serving the purpose of a notification and airing a public grievances thing, or actually us providing feedback like, I think this should be here and this should be here, you know, are we gonna be getting technical? both, yeah.
2: Mostly the first, Okay. because I'm assuming that there's gonna be less of the, this should be moved, because I think that's staff's.
0: Right, that's not our expertise, yeah.
2: Right, it's mostly the fail-safe that, Hmm. yeah, your stakeholder group is good, but look who we discovered is suddenly interested yeah. in this. Okay, so yeah, it sounds we, like
0: then this is airing on the side of caution then, of just yeah. having an additional touch point notification.
2: Yeah, it just it feels appropriate if you're mm-hmm. gonna change something about the streets and don't have any public meeting about it. That seems
0: right. so maybe a bit off. What about the touch point I proposed for step one though, where we're already de- defining what the project area is and that there are going to be temporary things. We don't know what they are, but there are going to be temporary things. Maybe it's speed bump, maybe a chicane.
2: That feels nebulous to me. When you are the person that lives on the street and you're about to, you get the news that this is going to happen right in front of your, mm-hmm. you know, right on your street, you're going to react differently than just when you're hearing, oh, they're going to be messing around in my neighborhood. So like, do I'll we- just sit back and wait until I know something more substantial. Substantial is a map that shows, you know, Ten feet down from my driveway is the chicane.
0: So I guess my question is then does the first meeting that I propose serve any purpose at all anymore? Or is it or is it just good enough to get people out at the woodwork for that nebulous stage of the project to establish the stakeholder working group to start the next step? Like
2: kinda of where I was asking, is that just a staff item? Like
0: I mean, how else are you gonna establish a stakeholder working group other than just the people who were on the application, right? And I feel like that was one of the flaws in the Elvis Lawrence one is that it wasn't until you had stuff out that you knew who the real stakeholders were, right? Like you knew who the people who had time and energy to do it, but you didn't know who really cared. And I mean, I do feel like it is airing on the side of caution of having maybe too many meetings, but maybe just to get it started, right? Like maybe we do need that first touch point. It's like, this is gonna be a project. We don't know what's going on, but imagine Old West Lawrence, but more collaborative, right? People are like, oh, okay, I wanna be on that committee. Then you got a stakeholder working group. Then you get that first proposal of where the temporary things are gonna be. Then you get that second touch point and and then you get the people who are super super interested about like oh this is five feet too close to my driveway, I mean it's gonna be a lot of complaining probably, but it also we'll get it out of the way first, which is good too.
2: Yeah, yeah I'd say all of them. Okay, but I,
0: that's where I'm leaning towards. It's basically having two, so it would. And be, if
2: we found out that it doesn't really make a difference, then I'm maybe just, change it,
0: or it'll be quick. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. would be quick. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is everybody okay with that approach? I know we've just kind of been back and forth here, but yeah. Okay.
7: Yeah.
0: And we'll see how it goes after the first couple. If it's like it's too much, too unnecessary. Okay. Do you have any other questions for clarity? As we've been bouncing ideas back and forth here.
10: Uh. I guess. Yeah. One uh, other thing that I kind of realized after again this was published was. Maybe a best practice is to put a a time limit on the temporary installs so we don't get into the. I like your word nebulous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of so we got to be out for snow removal. Well, it didn't snow, so leave them all winter. Or you know, yeah, so I've, I've seen. Like I, I think it was Madison says we'll we'll put them out for 30 days, collect data, and pull them. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, mm. Yeah, so limit not only the time of the pilot, but also, or not only the iterations, but the time as well. Just so there are managed expectations, right? That would be helpful.
2: I liked it a lot, actually, because I feel like one of the challenges of the old West Lawrence is the more it got deferred, the more they got, almost.
0: (laughs) More interested they got.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, if it's just a quick, we're gonna collect data, see what this does. It feels purposeful. When it's just getting drug out, then it starts to, you start to wonder,
10: and then like, what's There's really the concerns of, well, you pull them now, and, yep. you know, speeds are going to go back up. Or
2: I mean, I guess the question would be, how much of a burden is it to go out and do another iteration to collect more data? Like, is it better to do, like, if you had to do two different temporary installations, is that a, a burden? If if that was kind of the max,
10: like, I I would think we would have the answer of if if we're doing another iteration, you know, before we would be ready to <coughs> within that thirty days to pull them. So actually, we need to leave this and add to it. Or mm-hmm.
0: so we keep it to two iterations right now, just as just to have a number in there. I, I, yeah, I
10: feel it like feels fair. I mean.
0: I mean there was three with Louis Lawrence, but that was because things were different. It was all totally a learning experience, right? But now we kind of know. You're now building in the collaboration early on. You're 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 making sure stakeholders come out of the woodwork. You're getting the notice out. It'll be presented at MMTC. Like there are a lot of touch points here. So I feel like the first round will be a lot more close to what people want yep. than it was
10: previously. But then we still have an, an opportunity to to revise a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Two max, but not two required, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not too required. If you
0: can get a do over.
2: I mean, ideally, it's one and one, and it probably validates, yeah, this will create the success or meet the success criteria.
0: I mean, especially for the minor projects, it should be fairly cut and dried. It's just, there may be odd cases, like, especially in North Lawrence and East Lawrence, where it's like, well, did it create a spillover effect? I mean, overall, I really like where this is going. This is the the best I've felt about engagement and traffic calming like all year, so it's <laughs> looking really good.
2: I have another comment, but it's not really directly about this. More about the program.
0: So you should have the general public comment then. Well, it's about neighborhood
2: traffic calming, but it's okay less about this um, process. So one of the um, we've we've surfaced this before. It's really about is it serve the community best if we are asking for people to tell us where where they see problems, or is there some way that we're able to detect where um, efforts should be made using other data, where it might point us to neighborhoods that maybe don't have a lot of people organized or paying attention, or maybe even with the time, to be able to submit this kind of stuff? And it's kind of like, you know, when we look at larger data like speed or volume, how do we pay attention to the neighborhoods that maybe can't advocate for themselves? I think it but, might be. You know, we we can start to pick up on it from, our, from other data that there's a need to attend to it. And this process still relies on the neighborhood kind of saying, yeah. hey, there's a problem. So I'm worried about... The quiet neighborhood,
0: yeah, who's falling through the cracks,
2: right yeah, yeah, the neighborhood that doesn't really get the um, doesn't benefit if it doesn't proactively reach out or you know, so just I think we yeah. talked about this before, but I so I immediately think as we keep iterating, there's for me that's still a missing element is how are we it's an equity seeing, issue, seeing the totality of the community and being able to say, hmm. We need to engage this neighborhood because we can see there's problems even if they're not telling us
0: the the trick is that crash data is kind of limited to arterials um, yeah. when I look at the crash data map it like they really don't stay in the neighborhoods and unfortunately that is the exact opposite of the scope of this mm. initiative, which is really tough then so like mm-hmm. you have you really do have to rely on like word of mouth on the ground um, data, which is really hard because like those are the same people who would bring the issues to you right so like yeah. how do you do that I agree that it's a it's a huge goal to want to do that if we're Going to be tackling equity, but
2: well, we talked a little bit about when we got the on the year turn. We talked a little bit about neighborhoods getting more information about what's happening in their neighborhood, and that kind of gets to how does how does anyone get more information about all the submissions that go on with the survey tool that you guys use, Um, which is Mm. you know just. There's, act, there's ways that people already report issues. Um, I don't know how that gets geotagged and starts to get re- represented on a map, where we could say, hmm, all these things, but no one's taking the time to fill out this form.
0: Is that a link we could add to the revisions to the NTMP website? Is there any way to get a printout of the, what is it, C-click fix or the traffic problem thing? I don't know if there's a way to get a public-facing data report of that, but if there is, that- Maybe that would help fill that gap a little bit. Yeah, maybe. I'm probably jumping to an easy solution, but, like, I'd, we do have that information, but, like, can we present it? it?
2: It's just how does it get back to neighborhoods or back yeah. even to residents that might, if they saw there was other people raising issues. Yeah. at the very least might.
0: on the NTMP website. Yeah. But from there, I don't know. Yeah, tough question.
10: Mm. No. Okay. I'll, I'll have to... Dig into that and report back because, yes, I can see a, a dashboard that has hotspots and, and every report on one map, but, yeah. <laughs> so you do see that? <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah, so that, I think that's kind of like, where does that feed into this whole process? If, if you're able to pick up on, there's a lot going on over here and in that neighborhood, no one's like, no one's organized to do this work. How do we, what do we do about that?
0: I mean, is is there any way to have a, I mean, this is getting into dicey territory, but is there any way to have, like, a prioritized list of the top five identified neighborhoods that are high disadvantaged, uh, transportation to disadvantaged score as the priority? Because, like, that's, that's at least my understanding of equity versus equality, right? Like, equality would be a report of everybody, um, but equity would be a report of the places that you know are probably going to have less ability to organize. So, I mean... I feel like there's probably some legal issues there with like, here are the five neighborhoods that might have some disadvantage, but but if it helps us meet their needs better if they don't have the organizing capability, I don't know. I mean,
2: or maybe another way to think about it would be if staff just knows that there's a neighborhood that isn't involved in, isn't participating in this program, but they would benefit from it, could that be something that staff? least brings attention to so that we could think about, you know, is that a gap with this project that we need to find maybe a more staff-driven way to elevate um, improving traffic in that neighborhood that's essentially not suited well for the way we've designed the program.
0: Sounds like that could almost be automated with the GIS team. I'm sure they could figure out some algorithm to like cross-reference various data. sets like, Whoa, that's a hotspot. We got to bring this one in here. You know, I mean, that's, I that's guess my, my little, you know, project.
2: Yeah. Looking at and put chat GPT to work or something, you know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess at the very least, would it be worth maybe posing that to the GIS team? And like, is there a way that we can kind of hone in on places that are unlikely to submit an application, but are likely to need traffic calming? Just kind of like like an open ended question, like, Micah, what do you think, right? <laughs> um, I, I
10: can ask smart. the question, but I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the challenge of we don't have the big data to know what the speed is on every street in town. Right.
0: I think all you can do is, is that heat map you were saying of where complaints are coming from. It sounds like that's maybe the only data set that is or, any good. Or
10: complaints and, and crashes.
0: Yeah, if there's any like in the neighborhoods, if there is any crash data for that, which not a lot, probably.
10: I, I believe all crashes are you know mapped but yet, like you said on the lower volume streets there typically aren't a lot of crashes
0: yeah. and like there may be tons of near misses and you're never going to have a way to record those but like hopefully the the complaint data could be enough to kind of zero in on that so
2: i don't know there's not real time real-time cell phone data on how fast people are driving
0: it's available through a service that i think you guys have looked into subscribing to right but it's pretty pricey i think yep what's it called i, I think it's multiple ones that do it there are multiple at this point sure, yeah. yeah yeah they're all still Maybe kind of out of our price range but yeah it's more for like a kansas city kind of city. I think it's, it's expensive i think sure but
10: okay just
0: want to keep in mind you know what i've, I've realized we have not gone to public comment yet and it's probably a good time for that is there anybody online who wishes to make a public comment for this I don't see any raised hands. It
7: doesn't crack. <laughs> oh, OK. No, Yeah, I think Did Brian have anything to add?
0: Yeah, that's a good question, too.
2: Well, we can't hear.
0: Oh, you're on mute, I think, or something. Working? No. Hmm. Okay. Ryan, if you have something to say, if you can at least put it in the chat function. Sorry. I know it's supposed to be a real-deal hybrid meeting, but sometimes stuff happens. <laughs> yeah. At least you can hear us. That's a good thing. I'm assuming. Okay. If we take a break after this one, we'll reboot the computer. Okay. So hopefully that fixes all our today. Sounds good. Anything else before we close this out? Dustin, did you need any more clarification? i would be to throw a tone mm-hmm. at you, so... No, I, th- I think I got the clarity I
10: needed on, on what, what I was asking for. Um, okay. I w- maybe take an opportunity to give you a little update on some of the other pieces of the program that are in process right now, or progress right now. Um, so tomorrow night we have the bid award for the first phase of Old West Lawrence construction on the city commission agenda. So
0: that's, that's exciting.
10: Getting Getting there. Uh, again, the the first phase was the speed humps and the chicanes, and then we'll uh, need to wait until we get our 2024 money to bid the the traffic circles in phase two. Mm-hmm. But looking to get that started in construction, you know, I don't know, early 24. Uh, we did working days on that, so if if the weather's nice, they can work and and not have a, a calendar completion date. So hopefully they'll be able to get in and, and get get some work done when we do have nice weather still during the winter um, and then I did uh, get a reorder of our yard signs that were very popular with the public outreach program so um, not sure if we're gonna do a, a big push to to do kind of recreate the the engagement um, that we did a couple years ago, but we do we will have them available now because we, we do get requests for those pretty consistently.
0: That's interesting. Okay. Yes. so It's nice that it hasn't really tapered off too much. I feel like once this new thing rolls out, there might be a lot more interest all of a sudden if it's not like yeah. I need to get my whole neighborhood or well,
10: and. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to have kind of the logistics of how to actually distribute those worked out to where we can kind of tag that on the you know, the press releases or the social posts about the new phases of the program.
0: Yeah. Probably a good idea to proactively get some more of those because, I mean, if, if my predictions are correct, it looks like this will really increase engagement, hopefully, because it'll allow people who don't have a neighborhood association, which is a lot of people, mm-hmm. to finally get into this. Cool. Well, in that case, thank you very much for your work on this. I feel like this has come a long way, and I, I, I'm i sure it has a long way to go, but right now it seems really good, so, <laughs> so well, I'm all optimistic. Appreciate it. Thank you. Sounds good. Thank you. Let's go on to... Well, should we have a break so we can reboot the computer? Let's do that. <laughs> reboot. Reboot. And There's not too much left after that. All right. Let's come back in. What, what do you think? T- 10 minutes? Christina? Is, is, that, is that good enough? Okay, sounds good. Streets that I think would be helpful to flesh out before we have another one of those existential conversations during the next time we talk about it. So, um, I guess bike infrastructure discussion—I don't know what you'd call it—but I think if you could narrow it
2: down to biking on streets, that would be really helpful. There you go. I think that's. That's a lot different than just bike infrastructure. That's true. Yeah. And so, the people that want to bike on streets.
0: Yeah.
2: And I feel like we've kind of moved away from that, saying we prioritize shared use paths and. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So biking on street discussion, I guess. Because mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that, that 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 to me is like the epitome of a study session. It's like a broad topic that we need to wrap our heads around first and try to figure out where we want to go with it and what agenda items could come from it or what longer term initiatives.
2: I mean, we another. Want to Biking topic that we know is not well addressed is parking. Bike parking. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm gonna bring this up in staff up, commission updates. But there is a lot on bike parking in the new thing of the zoning code. So everybody really needs to read it if you, mm-hmm. if you are interested in this stuff, which which hopefully you are. So. Um, is there public comment still open? For what? LDC update. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. It's all 400 pages of it are up there. Okay. Um, okay, Jake, is that enough information for calendar? Are we good? Oh, do we need a do comment?
6: Well, I have a few answer. questions real quick. Sure. So I saw the city commission on the 21st heard this agenda item on the board consolidation, but I don't know how they voted or like what the next steps are. I know that the recommendation was mm-hmm. to consolidate us with public transit. Do you guys know what timeline that looks like in 2024? The,
1: the only thing I've heard from city manager's office is that they've got to get ordinances in place on how to move all this
0: forward and make the mm. changes, and we were told to expect 60 to 90 days.
6: Mm.
7: Okay.
0: Are we going to have any self-determination in that? Because when we rebranded from Transportation Commission to Multimodal Transportation Commission, that was like a self-done thing for the most part. That eventually went to city commission for approval, but we kind of had input to that, if I recall correctly. Do not know. Okay. I guess we'll we'll see when we cross that bridge, right?
2: (laughs) There wasn't really any input.
0: For MMTC or for the... um,
2: So the the Pedestrian Bike Issues Task Force recommended creation of the Transportation Commission, Mm -hmm. but then it was staff run from that point forward. The first iteration had the different representative groups. Right, at large. And it was then a, a year or so in that that was changed to just all at large. So that was the point where... Yeah,
0: along with the rebranding of calling it multimodal because we wanted to draw attention to the fact that we're looking at all the modes, almost all the modes.
2: I believe when it was proposed by staff, they called it multimodal
0: transportation okay. commission. For some reason, I thought we had a hand in that, but I guess not. I, I think I just remember talking with Steve about it. <laughs> mm. All right, well, I guess we'll see what happens when it comes.
2: I, I have a, a
5: just a comment about staff not... Um, Recommending a, a retreat at this time, or setting a date for the retreat, and just to make sure that that's a high priority. I think once the once the two committees or, or commissions are are combined, that that we do have a retreat because yeah. there's going to be a lot to to kind of sort out.
0: It'll be the honeymoon after the wedding, <laughs> which will be super necessary because we'll need to figure out what it is we do now, you know, mm-hmm. and how we do it.
6: Okay. And I assume, like, an ordinance will tell us, like, if we reapply
2: or what what the steps will be. Okay. Okay. So the, right. it, that's how it was before. Like, the, the two committees that were basically dissolved, if those people wanted to apply, they could. Mm. But it was not a – it wasn't guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay. So we do need an action to prove it, but first we're going to do public comment. This is one of the very few times where we do take public comment on the calendar because the calendar is an agenda item. So – is there anybody online who wishes to make? Okay, yeah. JT, you got three minutes.
11: Um, I stepped away for just a moment, and I heard you say that there's a. You, you were talking about bike parking in the um, transportation code. The um. Is that a question? The last last I heard from you, you don't do bike parking. Period. You encouraged me to get involved in the code, but. Um, what, what was it that you said? And has that changed? You know, the BAC used to do bike parking. When, um, when the BAC was disintegrated, um, Charlie can tell you I've been on bike parking since what? How many years, Charlie? Uh,
2: all I can remember. <laughs>
11: <laughs> okay, and Nick, you said recently we don't do bike parking.
0: Yeah, it's not really by choice. We just don't do it. So um, I'll kind of explain it.
11: What? Why? Why don't you do it?
0: Same reason that we don't do car parking, because unfortunately, for reasons unknown to me, car parking and bike parking are part of development, which means that they fall under the planning commission for citizen things and under planning and development for uh, city staff. So unfortunately, that means even though they very directly relate to transportation, we can't really do much about it even when it comes up in a discussion in the planning commission, it very, very rarely comes to us for a second opinion. It did once back in 2019 when the standards were updated, and we did have a lot of input on that. Yes?
11: Yes, you met in subcommittee, which I ask you not to do. And I'm trying to recall recall what your input was, because it certainly hasn't been successful. In my 20 years experience, the um, 20 plus 23 years experience in biking in lawrence bike parking has been systematically and consistently uh, denied delayed and degraded over that time start start with the um the carnegie building to be quite obvious when that reopened in 2010 the um the school rack went over to the art center not for the public because there was no bike parking for the public it was for the staff entrance and i lost a bike there and i was only in a city commission meeting that was being held there for for 20 minutes i remind you i've had nine bikes stolen and i'm i'm weary of it thank you for letting me speak Mm
0: -hmm. so i think you may want to join again for the commission items where i talk about the land development code steering Committee, because there's going to be really specific actions for what would what you would want to do to voice your concerns on it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway. All right. Any other public comment on the calendar? All right. In that case, I'll. I'm ready for motion. I guess.
6: I motion to approve the calendar. Agenda item. Second.
11: All right.
0: Motion by Commissioner Carter. Second by Commissioner Baltuska. All in favor, raise your hands. Unanimously approved. That's it for agenda items. We're on to staff items. It's kind of a doozy of a staff item, so. (laughs) But an interesting one. Aaron uh, Parker
1: is online Ah. and he's going to provide the update on this item.
12: Hi hey there. My name is Aaron Parker. I'm. A, can you hear me? Okay. Yep. Great. Um, I'm a senior project engineer for MSO. I'm the project manager for the Massachusetts Street 14th to 23rd Street Multimodal Improvements Project. Um, the project is a corridor transportation study and multimodal improvements design analysis that will culminate in a design recommendation. Um, this staff item is a brief introduction and status update for the project and the discussion of next steps in the text you'll find the project summary um, and that includes all the project information to date. Um, the summary discusses what is being considered in the project and the current status. so please see that project summary for more information. Um, we recently uh, by we the city recently held the first public open house um, for the uh, project and we received ample community input. Uh, feedback is also found in the project summary, so please see that attachment for that information. Um, it's a feedback summary generated by the uh, uh, survey GIS survey um, web form. Next steps for the project are to develop concept designs, um, hold a second public open house to discuss the concept designs, and then go to MMTC to discuss the designs, corridor study, and public feedback. Uh, Following that we'll have a third open house with a preferred alternative developed with MMTC feedback from the second MMTC meeting uh, which sounds like might be in another format with a uh, a committee Um, and then um, Go to MMTC with the final uh, Preferred alternative developed from the final public feedback and get a recommendation for this design Um, then go to City Commission for approval um, design is funded in 2024, and uh, construction is currently unfunded. And but this would be an excellent grant candidate of a project. Um, and that's what I had. I'm happy to take any questions based on the attachment or the agenda item okay.
11: description. Okay.
0: Thanks for the update. Any questions or comments from the commission? <laughs> Okay I do have kind of a nebulous one, so bear with me here sorry I know it's kind of late um, so I don't know how many of you follow strong towns on the regular, but um, there's an article that came out I think it was reprinted from somewhere else and it was kind of an inflammatory title is called Engineers should not design streets and what the author clarified is that engineers should definitely be in charge of designing things that are technically important like stormwater um, you know stormwater sewer capacities and pavement bearing strengths and, and, you know, the right concrete mix and stuff like that. But, but having engineers be entirely in charge of designing streets is akin to having programmers in charge of designing a video game. You get a very technically competent video game that is not super enjoyable, cause it's not, you know, aesthetically pleasing or adapted to the users that it's meant to be for. And I don't think the author really drew a full conclusion from that, from that analogy, but it's, it seemed to me now the extrapolation here is that for streets that are to be lovable, instead of just functional, that there needs to be involvement from you know architects, landscape architects, planners, um, you know people who have a, a direct stake and expertise in the stuff that surrounds the street and not just the pavement that goes on the street. I I don't know how I would incorporate that in this particular p- project but I do know that this is like, this is the epitome of the kind of project that could really use, like it's got to look good, right? It's extremely high profile. It's kind of the main street in town. It's an extension of the most popular street in this whole state probably. Um, The stakes are really high, right? So I guess I don't really know how to reconcile that. I just want to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, Trek is doing the design here, but is there any way that the public can be assured that this isn't just going to be a check-the-boxes project, like, say, Castle Drive was, where it's like, well, technically this meets all the standards, but then it ends up with something that many people aren't very happy with because it it just looks like a highway instead. So I don't know. I'm 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 probably being a little bit too pessimistic before I even see a design. Um, it just I feel like this is something that we've gone through a couple of times where it's like. You know, this definitely looks like a video game that was designed by a programmer and not by a user interface expert. You know.
2: Do you think that about 23rd Street, East 23rd?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that. East 19th.
2: I feel like East 23rd got a lot of positive regard by the community engagement process. Yeah, that was used
0: at the time. it Was like, okay, this seems good. But honestly, I mean, I, I drive it every other day. Like just looks like a regular street again it doesn't look any different honestly
2: well they're not done with it yet
0: yeah i mean i guess once the trees are in it might be a little different so i'll hold my judgment until everything's done it just it's not that it's not meeting the goals of the project it 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 still is going to meet the goals right but like like if you met the goals for nutrition you would be missing the point of enjoyment of food right there's it and I'm saying this as an engineer myself, right? I mean, we design things to be fun, you know, fun, functional and to meet the goals. And it's always an afterthought of if it looks good. Especially for me, because I design wastewater treatment plants. Like, who cares? You know, nobody's going in there. But roads are very public, especially this particular road. So I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm, it's not like this project is even funded right now. So it's not like there's a budget concern necessarily. But, like, how do we begin to pivot to the, the thing of, like, you know, engineers have their specialty, but so do architects and landscape planners and land use planners and stuff. Um,
12: yeah, that's a great question. Um, right now we have a number of stakeholders, various city departments, and the consultants. Um, uh, we're, we're talking to the city arborist, but we don't have landscape architect, architects, we don't have... Um, well, we invited planning and development services um, to some of the initial meetings, but they didn't attend um, But maybe planners um, As well as like you said artists or um, others we brought um, I did bring um, economic development um, and equity um, Program managers into the first meeting um, but it was too early at that point to get feedback but I did envision something like a some kind of a sign or a permanent banner or something or a fixed sign that, you know, welcome, uh, you know, I'm not sure what it would say. I'm relatively new to, to the city of Lawrence. Um, but I think that is something that we could consider um, something like that. But also, like you said, the aesthetics along the revised corridor.
0: Well, it sounds um, like you've anticipated my comment in its entirety. So it sounds like it sounds like you're on the right track, and for this to work, the stakeholders kind of need to play along, and perhaps they might not until there's a concept design. So I guess, like, I'll continue to hold judgment until things start to happen. But it sounds like, at least from your end, you are making the effort to make sure that it's not just a project by engineers, which is great. So
2: well, did it just say does not have a landscape architect involved.
0: Okay, well, we're missing one bar, one party, but. <laughs>
2: Well, that's a pretty important party. That's I mean, true. When Get into what you're talking about. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I, I think what kind of got me thinking about this again, it, it all kind of came together, right? Like the article, this project, going to the open house. And then you sent me this very interesting AI generator of what would it look like if your street was Dutch? <laughs> and, <laughs> and... um the technology needs some working on it. <laughs> that's yeah. some really weird things where like it splits into two different horizons. AI is freaky. But generally speaking, it's like, would you like Dutch with flowers? Would you like Dutch with markets or Dutch with tons of bicycles? And it's really cool when you get it to get the right street. My street is not the right street, apparently, but it's it's pretty cool. And when you look at those concepts, it's like, damn, what if mastery looked like that, you know? Mm-hmm. What if we had like flower boxes everywhere and cool trees that overhung things and like slip lanes? And I feel like that's something that it's almost like car design, right? And um, as much as I'm against car depends, I do love cars. So I do follow a lot of you know conceptual design all the way to market. And oftentimes, it's a designer who's in charge of the first thing, right? Like, you get this awesome car, the Pontiac Aztec, you know? Mm-hmm. And then after a couple of iterations, once you realize, oh, okay, the, the structure needs to be reworked, the aerodynamics are all off, the tires are incorrect, eventually you get to the real car. But it starts with this beautiful design that gets that captures the imagination of... People, mm-hmm. or the revulsion of people in the case of the Aztec, but g- generally speaking, like that's how those projects go. And even when it comes to architecture, right? Like the architects are the artists. The structural engineers make sure it doesn't fall down. Um, I don't know how we work this into it, right? Like how how do we present designs to the public that capture the imagination and aren't just a plan view showing where the trees are going to be, right? I mean, obviously. Yeah, I
12: think that those are great comments. I might I had two thoughts on that. One is typically in these concept designs, you see artists' renderings of an intersection or maybe just a plan view. But I'm kind of envisioning a three-dimensional drawing or um, mm-hmm. sketch-up drawing of um, an intersection. But maybe in this corridor, we want to have a couple intersections. Um, I don't know. We're not currently scoped to do that. Yeah. Um, The other thing I thought was in your Aztec um, example that the designer led the way, you know, the artist led the way with the the kind of sales side of it, or the um, you know this this would be the most interesting new design. But when it comes to something like a car, um, yeah, it's kind of it's. I see what you're saying. But anyways, um, you know, kind of the function needs to receive the form. The form needs the function is the most Thing. But, but there's also the allure, of something. So, but I think to accommodate those things, you might need to engage all stakeholders a little bit more iteratively throughout the project. So, I think I see. That's what I see when when I hear what you're saying there. Um, so we need folks that are a wide range of stakeholders into um, the project, and that's why we're holding three open houses. Um, It's at the consult level of the four um, community engagement levels with MSO, and we want to definitely, our first open house was very successful. We had 72 attendees and just quite a bit of feedback. Um, And then we held an online survey, and we're looking at creating a story map, which is an online um, display that's very graphically intensive and kind of helps tell the story in a kind of a slick way that any user can gravitate to. So those are things we're looking at doing um, to really engage the community and make it uh, a successful project. But yes, it's a signature corridor, so it needs this kind of engagement. Does can you guys hear me now?
2: Yep. Yes, sir. You're on.
8: Awesome. This is City work with the university at all i know that obviously it's really hard to engage students and people generally under the age of 34 but only two people under the age of 35 responded to this online survey which is fairly concerning to me assuming that that part of mass street is what brings people to lawrence and our biggest population is our students so is that something that the city will do is try to get you know, maybe the school of architecture or the engineering school to draw interest from students.
12: That's a, um, that's a great comment. Um, I really appreciate that comment actually. And what we did was we notified, we put out public notice in general on social media, and then we sent mailers to, um, I think a 400 foot buffer on the corridor. So a lot of students live in that area um, but also homeowners and, or you know, um, working folks that are past the school stage. And so I think what, what I observed at Elton House was a lot of working class folks and there's a few business owners that were very outspoken. Um, and people that were there were definitely focused on this thing. And I, I think they felt like it was a long time coming. I just saw people with their heads down like, pouring out these comments um, kind of intensely at times. And I didn't see a lot of younger folks to answer your question, to go back to your question. Um, and I don't know, I mean, we had uh, the, um, the boards placed along the corridor and social media and the, and the mailers. And um, I went to some businesses even um, the, and they put them in their windows. And so I'm not sure how much more we could have engaged, but. Maybe engaging directly with KU, that's something I thought of when he said that, um, like the School of Architecture or maybe even Engineering. I am involved with KU on a, on a totally different project, um, the, the Civil Engineering Department, um, for a project that in, goes right through you know, adjacent to the school, but I think that's a good suggestion. And I did also plan to reach out to KU Transit um, by way of Lawrence Transit um, regarding their stops along the border that's something we're doing uh, transit's also involved in this it's a full multimodal study but thank you yeah.
0: aaron oh, sorry do you want to go first
6: oh aaron i think you already said this earlier but what is the next step i know that design is in 2024 but and it'll be iterative but what's coming down the pike
12: so right now the consultant is developing concept designs and we are working with them on that. Um, it's truck Design Firm um, and they're waiting, primarily waiting on the city arborist to put together a detailed report because one of the big items that the neighborhood wants to maintain are the existing street trees. That's a, a big one. It's the second highest valued item um, of all the items that were on the survey um for kind of multi bmps we included things like that retained street trees um so we're waiting for the arborist report to see kind of where the critical and structural root zones are tree species um, diameter and breast height um, setback from the back of curve and those kind of parameters and also from the sidewalk just to see what we can do with the roadway um, we want to do the very best thing that's possible and that could be reconstruction um, as opposed to just a resurfacing, restriping, or um, shared-use path. I mean, there's a there's a lot of options we're looking at. I, uh, I, several, I should say, not a lot.
1: So I'll jump in, Aaron. I guess to summarize, the consultant's going to put together some options, bring them back to the public, get feedback again, then come back to hear to you with those options and public feedback. Okay.
12: Cool.
0: Thanks. So those are kind of the immediate next steps. Great.
12: Thanks, Jake. Everybody,
0: digress. So. I hate to be the one to ever suggest a change order, right? Um, but so I'm kind of thinking of, um, you know, bringing concepts to the public is t- typically in a form that they were designed, right? Like the very early stage design. It's going to be plan view, maybe a couple of cross sections, and it'll be, you know, sort of art, arted up a little bit so that's easier to understand. It's not going to be your typical engineering design drawings. But um, I feel like in, the, in the, kind of even in this survey, but also in the, um, geez, I think it was the pedestrian or the biking plan recently, there was actually a visual preference survey where it's like, what kind of look and feel are you looking for here? Do you want this, you know, like everybody's in the same kind of you know suburban house? Do you want this really eclectic mix? Do you want high rises? And people were allowed to kind of indicate their preferences based on how things looked, which is how a lot of people think, um, especially non-engineers. So, I mean, as a as a concept artist or a landscape person doing a like a rendering of what could be it's hard to do any of that before the preference survey so that has now kind of been done right i mean with this with the online survey and the first open house you basically collected what people's values are what their favorite parts of the street are what they don't want to see um i feel like this might be a very cool stage to have uh, like a couple of renderings. And it, it doesn't even have to be a lot, it could even just be like how a storyboard artist would do something for a movie or a video game. I mean, stuff that is obviously not going to happen exactly as it's drawn, but gives you an idea for how the look and feel of the street's going to be. If, if there could be an option for visual preference, then I feel like not only would that maybe get the public more interested in buying in early on, but you know could probably inform what the design eventually looks like to make that concept work within the bounds of MUTCD. Um, but that costs money. Right, what,
12: what we've shown them is typical measures um, for multimodal improvement, mm-hmm. um, examples around town or in general. Um, and what you're suggesting is something that is site-specific renderings for showing what some of the options could be, or maybe showing what the the two or three design alternative options would be at one intersection. And then they can make comments. I like this alternative, but maybe um, a few more trees or benches here by the bus station, shelter or something like that. Now yeah. uh, that they're seeing it uh, drawn
11: out, they can comment on
0: it. Yeah, it's it's kind of like when people are shopping for a home and it's hard to envision what an empty room is going to look like once all your stuff's in there. So having that kind of like augmented reality can help people who are visual learners see it. Um, I, I think what you said in terms of having that, that actual you know, context at the intersection. Here's what it looks like. Here's what it could look like. But th- that is an awesome way to do it. I do think it's probably the most expensive way to do it too. I wonder if there's maybe a slightly easier way of doing that and showing streets that are of a similar throughput and of a similar importance to a town or a city. And just, you know, like, hey, do we want the Iowa City style? Do we want the Barcelona style? Do we want the Davis, California style? And and that, that could even be enough right there to d- kind of differentiate between actual aesthetics rather than just saying, I do want street trees, I don't want street trees. You know, like giving us all enough information to design the street that really is something people can be proud of, because they had a bit of a hand in designing it. And I'm I'm wondering if, if that's a small enough of a change that it could be maybe incorporated without even a change order at all, like just, just get a couple of options that are, what is it, 3,000 cars a day, and it has to be, you know, here's the right of way width that we have to work with, and, know from there just choose a couple of potential options maybe I think we can sorry
1: Eric, I'm gonna jump in again I think it's definitely an option at our second public meeting to give some visual displays and just ask for preference and that gets some of that input directly in in
0: an easy manner and and it wouldn't be an additional cost that we couldn't bear okay I mean as long as that's not too much work I feel like that's probably the easiest way to do that Um, although it you know now that we're thinking about it like this maybe is the kind of process that we might want to look into in the future of like how do we incorporate conceptual Design early on, before it gets to this point, and I'm asking for it, um, whether it's warranted or not. Right, so I think, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I would definitely appreciate that inclusion if it can be done. And if it ends up being totally useless, well, at least now we know. But I think it might have some value. Good suggestion.
12: Yeah, I think so as well. Thank
0: you. Thanks for being open-minded. <laughs> Any other comments or questions from the commission? Uh, th- this is just a,
4: an observation, uh, item number 11 on page 71. It's a long document. Uh, the data looks a little whacked out by the cloud here. Just if you're going to release this out, just take a peek at that.
2: Oh, the date? 07? Yeah, seven. Day yeah
4: some yeah. on mm-hmm. the data entry probably got a little weird. That's all. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
12: Thank you, I see that, at 7th in November.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Metadata freaked out. <laughs> yep. Yeah,
7: metadata, yep. OK. Thank
0: you. Well, that's good. Um, any final thoughts?
9: I guess one question I'd ask is, is the scope of work that Trek is doing, would that include site-specific 3D renderings or?
12: i have to go back and look at that. Yeah, probably not. Thinking probably not. Um, they have subconsulted Shocky to do public outreach um, web content, um, and I think they're gathering the uh, multimodal traffic measures, um, photos of it of, in other cities or in our city. I don't know that they're doing 3D renderings. Um, We did have to the scope down a little bit um, to get it in budget.
2: Do we have data on how many people walk up and down that segment of Mass? I mean, I think Mass Street is one of the more pedestrian friendly spaces, and a lot of the comments seem to focus on improving the sidewalks on this southern section of Mass, and I'm just thinking like people love to walk on mass, <laughs> so out of all the things to do, probably prioritizing making it feel like an enjoyable stroll would would be make it kind of an iconic street not there's a lot of comments also about bicycling, but in our discussions before, like the trade-offs between shared use paths and bike lanes and you know the lanes for traffic i'm i'm feeling more inclined from what i'm seeing to think about how does the pedestrian experience get prioritized which is not what i would have imagined i would think before seeing this data i was kind of excited like the idea of yes cycle track but it's like maybe not trees Mm -hmm. and walking
4: well, you're right because no. pedestrians are going to be more excited about trees than cyclists. Yep. yep. It's not like cyclists don't like trees, but when you're strolling, you have more time to appreciate trees.
2: Yep.
6: The one thing I'll say though is the land use is different south mm-hmm. on that part of Mass Street. Mm-hmm. And so the reason you have foot traffic on the northern, you know, north of South Park is because of the commercial components and places that people are going, whereas south of South Park it's just residential effectively. And so you'll have dog walkers, right, but I don't know that you're going to have strollers, like people strolling, flaneurs, if you will, like you have north of north of the park.
8: Although in the, the southern part of Mass you see a lot of foot traffic between the grocery store Dillon's in that area. I live in that part of town, so honestly I'm kind of team pedestrian on this one. I think that yeah. it's, it's surprising to see the feedback from this first survey, but it makes a lot of sense when you see the amount of traffic from like that grocery store and then that corner of, um, oh, what is it? it, uh, uh, We we worked on it, it's it's where supersonic music is and uh, the middle school. um, That area sees a lot of foot traffic as well.
5: 14th.
0: 14th, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you guys, this is a huge road for what it's really supposed to be. It's 45 feet curb to curb-ish, at least according to my Google Maps handy-dandy measurement tool. Which means that you could have three 10-foot lanes and still have 15 feet left over for bike track and do better with the sidewalks on the end it is a huge right of way it was probably always meant to be like the wagon trail thoroughfare right through town right like this is our grand promenade and it's accordingly gigantic (laughs) so i mean you you could easily have a lane in either direction and a middle turn lane with appropriate trees and medians in the middle maybe that's going to happen i don't know and then a protected bike lane on either side and a great sidewalk we could have it all and parking probably not how I d- now, does it? it does, but nobody it does uses it. Like, it's officially yeah, it lab-like. How many times have you actually seen parking on that Street? Like, it's pretty rare. I mean, when people don't
2: park there because of like, the traffic. It sure doesn't, it
0: doesn't look like a parking spot, right? I like, well, there's, there's but why?
2: There's certain parts of it where parking's pretty critical. Sure.
0: I mean, around 14th, or, that's about it, I guess. Because everything on 19th has a parking lot. But closer to 14th, there's it's kind of odd businesses here and there, but Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just saying it. I feel like let's not limit ourselves to just one mode or two modes. I think we can do three modes maybe.
6: I agree with you, Nick. I mean, the road is massive, and it's not going to be pleasant to walk down if it's still 45 feet with four lanes yeah. across
0: the whole thing. It's a lot harder to drag race down nine foot lanes. Yeah. Although the motorcyclists will do just fine, <laughs> the cars will have to really work for their drag racing. Yeah.
6: We can have it all. We
0: can have it all. Except for no drag bikes. We're probably still going to have that.
9: (laughs) Cycling only makes the walking experience better, too.
0: Yeah. They go hand in hand. Cool. Um, Any other questions? (laughs) I know we keep opening other doors here, but... Thanks
7: for the feedback.
0: Yeah. Thanks for the presentation. I'm excited to see where this goes. I think most of the city is probably excited to see where this goes. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) okay uh any other stuff items jake or dustin nope okay commission items it is uh where is my agenda who's up first while i navigate back to where i'm supposed to be
9: it's climate action plan um they've got i think a couple more open houses on the books uh if you're interested go check them out um Uh, they're bringing up, um, well, I guess they'll revisit the draft based on feedback and then be bringing it to city commission, um, early next year or spring next year, I'll say.
0: Cool. And thank you for your tabling at the events as well. I really appreciate the kind of above and beyond participation here, so. For sure. It's an example to follow everybody. Um, looks like I'm up next. Land Development Code Steering Committee. I don't remember if this came up last time or not or if we maybe didn't have a meeting, but module two is out. Module two is really important. So module one was the uses and districts. So like, you know, um, where can you do what? But um, the second module is how, how do you have to do it? So that's like, how does your parking lot have to look like? What kind of driveways do you need? Um, let's see, what else? How many trees do you need on the buffer between your use and a different use? How bright can your lights be? Um, what sustainability measures do you need to have on site to meet our goals, right? Like there's the, there's all sorts of stuff um, in all sorts of fields. It touches on architecture, landscape architecture, transportation quite a bit, um, sustainability. So the parts that are most important to us are gonna be the articles about parking and loading access standards. The big news about parking is that there are no more off-street minimums, that's big. Um, That would make us one of the few cities in the country to have fully eliminated parking minimums off-street. Instead, there are maximums, which is like surprisingly progressive. Not for all uses. There's quite a few uses that get a free pass and can do whatever they want, including car lots and any government businesses. So it's not perfect, but like, pretty good step. Um, That was changed actually during the steering committee meeting. Mayor Finkelday said, well, I mean, if we're gonna, oh no, he's not mayor anymore. You said, if if we're gonna have no minimums and only maximums on commercial and industrial, why not do that on residential too? And the consultant said, bold, I like it. All right, let's do it for the draft. So that's the draft that we have. Um, We decided to kind of come out swinging and see what happens. And then if we got to dial it back, then we do. The second part is loading and access standards. So that's something that we reviewed back in probably 2019 with um, what John was alluding to earlier, but it's kind of back in the public eye. So it's kind of like a whole rewrite of it. So there's a lot of things around how parking spots must look, how wide they must be, the aisles between them, um, how many, um, like what the services must be paved with, how much light has to be in there. And there's a lot about bike parking as well. So there are um, recommendations for exactly what kind of bike racks to use and what not to use. Um, I'm not an expert or advocate in this field, but I feel like some of the stuff they're prohibiting actually works okay. but that's just me. there are, there are actually requirements now for having bike parking inside as well for certain kinds of apartment complexes. Uh, there's a distinction between short-term and long-term bike parking spaces, and there are minimums on those versus maximums, so that's kind of interesting. They have to be a certain distance away from the front door. You can't put them like all the way at the edge of the parking lot. They have to be within 50 feet of the front door. Mm-hmm. In some places they have to be covered, which is kind of cool. Um, the distinction between short-term and long-term is like, long-term would be for employees or students at a school, or people who actually live at an apartment complex, and short-term is just like uh, visitors. So there's there's like tables for what is required where, so if you have any really nitty-gritty technical comments, this is the time to go in and check it out. I think what else is important. That's about it. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that is interesting, but doesn't necessarily touch on our group. So like, um, how many trees do you have to have between an industrial building and a commercial building? Uh, how t- how tall does the wall have to be in between it? <laughs> like, there's a lot of silly things that are carryovers from the current code that I think somebody wrote 30 years ago and was like, yeah, that looks good, that we just haven't looked at since then. So like, you have to have a three-foot wall between certain uses, but you also have to have trees. It's like, so what's the wall doing? Is it helping with visibility? No. Is it helping with sound attenuation? No. So why are we imposing costs on development that don't really need to be imposed? So there's just like tiny technical details all throughout that are pretty interesting if you kind of know what you're looking for. So I would definitely recommend reading through it, even if you only have a passing interest in this stuff. At least the articles that pertain to us, which I think is like 9 and 11. I forget what they are. But parking, access standards.
6: Nice. So
0: that's it. Um, I don't know how long it's open for. I don't think they have a deadline on the website. But if you just Google search like Lawrence, Kansas, LDC, that'll take you to where you got to go. It's on a special site called Conveyo, which is like their public input thing and it's got the whole document and you can add comments and you can reply to other people's comments and like do likes or dislikes it's kind of like a PDF uh, Facebook so there are also meetings coming up I don't know when we may have gone through this already but I'm gonna look and see so anyway lots of stuff good lots of stuff going on I hope to see everybody's comments on the draft if you can and that's it for me who's next um
5: the wayfinding. Um uh, there's no, no update on that. We mm-hmm. had we didn't have a meeting okay. last period. Easy enough. No update on vision zero. Haven't heard anything yet.
0: Yeah, still under contract, right? Or going through negotiation. Maybe. Yeah. I think that's what Dave said last time. Yeah. Sounds that's complicated.
6: I okay. I understand it's probably coming shortly, but I don't that's just what I heard from Dave last session.
0: Okay. This is probably the one I'm most excited about, so I really hope it gets through, because it's going like, to rewrite the rules on, you know, currently we have the five E's, right? But like, maybe engineering is the most important, it turns out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, a lot of what Vision Zero goes into. Yeah. So, Lawrence Loop, Ryan, anything going on there? Yeah, it's
8: unfortunate that I'm sick because it's my first big commission update and I'm (laughs) at home, but that's okay. So the first steering committee meeting happened on November 9th um, where they kind of laid out the entire plan. I think the recording of that meeting is on the website and the slide deck is on the website as well. The kind of big updates is that there is an open house on December 13th, which is next Wednesday. That's from 4 to 6 p.m. for anyone to come in and talk to staff and then the consultants um, about the project and to kind of go through what the steering committee talked about um, last month, Uh, kind of an update to the commission. I think right now we're in phase one, which is their community engagement and concept design um, phase, also kind of exploring the idea of the raise grant and kind of the process of what it takes. I think that's the main funding mechanism for it. Definitely recommend the commission attend next or go to the meeting next week. I'll be there too. The concept designs are really crazy for this. I'm really excited about this project. I think there's so much potential with it. Um, but I'm, ex- I'm excited to hear what the community has to say next week. That's kind of the big update there.
0: Okay, it's um the, the I think just to remind everybody and myself especially, this is what started as I think Riverfront and Center or Cobb River Commons or whatever it's called. Like. Um, uh, one of our former commissioners, Steve, this is kind of his new project after, after uh, leaving the, the MMTC. <laughs> and um, and it, it's kind of morphed into this huge initiative of like multiple bridges and tunnels and all sorts of stuff. Um, is the phase you guys are working on just the portion that where you're completing the Lawrence Loop essentially, or are you getting to the further out crazy stuff like going across the river?
8: Probably the first phase is completing the loop. I think the the uh, it's it's I think it's difficult to say kind of exactly where because it's really dependent on the amount of funding, if I remember correctly. And Jake, yeah. feel free yeah. to chime in too.
1: Yeah, Ryan, I can jump in and, and help you out a little bit here. So, um, like Ryan did, give a great update first of all. But um, the raise grant is kind of the culmination of these first. Of this first phase of work and in that raised grain it's going to be like a a holistic comprehensive solution to everything going on down on here Mm. Um, but the the first phase of that would be that direct connection of the loop right now you know there's other ideas of getting across the river and the railroad and sixth street they'll be part of that raised grain application but wouldn't be the first phase
9: okay
0: is is this the one where the options were like going behind the riverfront plaza or through it or something like is that the stage that we're at no, I think we're kind of past that because we explored that option
1: in past studies and, mm-hmm. you know, have written off the feasibility of some of those. Okay. So is it
0: going to be more like going under the bridge roads or something? Yeah, potentially. That, that that's, horseshoe path. Okay. Cool. I mean, anything to fix the path right there would be great. So. Okay. Thanks for the update. Um, any other non, I guess, not on the agenda commission items that people just want to bring up? It's been fun. That's right. This is somebody's last meeting here.
5: Oh. Charlie's (laughs) been on since... Last meeting. Since the beginning.
0: Like three iterations of this. Yeah. And now you're joining another board, which is significantly more work, probably.
11: (laughs) (laughs) Which board are you joining?
2: Oh, I think he's referring to the shelter.
0: You're already on it, but... Yeah. Yeah, which is a huge commitment, so... But we certainly thank you for your service. been here for six years? How long Uh, has it been going on?
2: seven i don't know it's yeah. been a while i on for a while i mean as like, long as you can the bike bed task force so yeah i think I was if, pat there, yeah. was on there too so i think it's just yeah it's time to get a. one more night free of my calendar
0: yeah. <laughs> i think that officially will make me the most continuously senior member on the commission which is nuts
2: <laughs> yeah because
0: <laughs> yeah i'm not that I haven't been in lawrence that long either so
6: how long have you been on it
0: uh, I moved to Lawrence in 2017, and I was on this by like late late 2018, I think, and mm-hmm. here ever since.
6: Nice. Charlie, our institutional knowledge. Mm-hmm. I think Nick's got it. Yeah. I think
7: has got something.
2: it. Once I mean, you guys are growing, you guys are doing great. I'm, I, I honestly say, just coming in tonight and everybody being here, Ryan joining remotely, it just feels good. Like this feels like a good time to step aside.
0: And it's going to get really interesting soon.
2: Yeah. Well, and then who knows what'll happen with creating a new committee and That's what I mean. how many folks are going to be uh, appointed that you know from the previous committees. Yeah. So. Hmm.
0: Should be interesting. Don't worry. We'll keep you in the loop or you can just watch the videos.
2: <laughs> 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 we expect yeah. expect to see you at least for occasionally
0: for public comments.
2: Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I have to take a pause for a little while. <laughs>
6: you might get an email from me. Charlie. What was the, what what happened here? (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) So our final thing is, oh, wait, sorry. Were there there any other commission items before I scooch on it? I figured that was a good way to end it. But just in case, no? Okay. So the final one is the calendar, which I feel like we've already covered. Jake, is there anything else we need to do about this? Other than just have the agenda planning meeting that we usually do? Right. Yeah. January's often canceled. Um, so if it happens, it's going to be fairly light. It's going to be a lighting chair and vice chair. Think about who you want to elect or nominate, or yourself. Um, and then Dustin's going to come back to us. Looks like with the revised traffic management program thing. Yep. That's what's on the agenda at least. So, okay. So we'll just have to pick a study session. Any um, top picks for a study session if this meeting happens, which it is scheduled too. Should we talk about the bike stuff, on road? biking, or is there anything else that was more prescient?
6: I mean, I'd love to talk about it. I don't know if it's the study session or another.
0: You know what? That's probably a good question up front. Who is definitely not going to make it for January? If we're going to have a three-person study session, it's not worth having what I think is an important Mm. discussion. So, is anybody not planning on making it for January? Obviously, but who else? (laughs) I might
2: tune in. (laughs) I should be there the 8th.
0: Everybody else January there? 8th. Let's tentatively schedule it then. Um, get as many people here as we can and talk about it. I think if I can reach out to Michael Allman and maybe Chris Tilden and see you know, if there's any flat um, representatives who might be interested as well. Get the bike people here. We do have a lot of bike people already here. I mean, you four are very very bike-oriented people. <laughs> um, I'm working on it. But let's do that. Um, and we can talk more on the agenda meeting, but it sounds like we've got to we have a slate ready to go. All right. Um, if there's nothing else, all in favor of adjourning? Say aye. Say aye. aye. And we're done. Thanks, Charlie. See y'all next year. Uh,
2: yeah. Gosh. Bye, Charlie. Bye, Ryan. <laughs> um, David Hammy might be interesting but if you're trying to like bring some other folks
0: for a study session. Who's David Hammy?